Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrity CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I am Rashawn McDonald, your host. Each Money Making Conversation talk show is about entrepreneurship and entertainment. I recognize that we all have different definitions of success. For some, it's a sizable paycheck. Mine is helping people wake up and inspiring them to accomplish their goals and live a, their very best life. That's all I'm trying to do. These are my passions, and that's what I'm trying to do for anybody who listens to the show, watches the show, stops in the streets and wants to question or be, wants me to mentor them. The Money Making Conversation interviews provide relatable information to the listener by career and financial planning, entrepreneurship, motivation, leadership, overcoming the odds, and how to live a balanced life. My guest is a highly sought-after brand architect in various industries, including music, fashion, wine and spirits, television, and most recently, the bottled water industry. Pittman is a powerful and respected force in the world of marketing. Over the course of two decades, she's held titles as media companies such as Time Inc. and Vibe Media Group. She is currently the CMO of Viola, Brand, Viola Brands and Epitome Media, Epitome Media Group. She is on the show to talk about her new book, which I have in my hand right here. What Mama, uh, what Mommy, or I said Mama, I'm from the South. What Mommy Never Told You, M-O-M-M-Y, not O-M-M-A, uh, Never Told You. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, Erica Pittman. How you doing, Erica? Hi, how are you, Rashawn? Had to get rid of that Southern, you know, it's not what Mama never told us, but Mommy, <laughs> Mommy, Mommy. So where are you from to say Mommy, Erica, Mommy? Well, I am from Brooklyn, New York. See, 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 see. See, <laughs> you say mommy, I say mama. <laughs> to be honest with you, I say ma. I say ma more times than not, but it didn't, you know, didn't necessarily resonate. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I love the title. I have a 22-year-old daughter. So uh, it was definitely uh, when I got my hands on the book, I, I read it and uh, found some nuggets that I just want to share with my um, listeners doing the show Money Making Conversation. But first of all, let's get a little background on you. I gave out a lot of interesting uh you being called a brand architect. What exactly is that? Brand architect. What exactly is that? Well, so throughout my career, I've been able to uh, really craft, uh, successfully craft positioning for pretty much unknown brands. And, uh, you know, we have a saying at Blue Flame, we take things from unknown to ubiquitous. Right. So, you know, just figuring out a uh, sort of a paradigm on how to take something that might be an idea and bring it to fruition in a successful way. Um, now, it was, it also, I mentioned you CMO of Viola Brands, and then you have mm-hmm. Epitome, Epitome Media Group. What exactly are those two? There are two separate companies. Talk about Viola they, Brands they first. <laughs> okay. First and foremost, well, not first and foremost, but first we'll, we'll address Viola. So mm. Viola Brands is a cannabis company. We are a vertical, multi-state operating cannabis company in California, Oregon, Colorado, and Michigan. Right. Um, uh, Viola is black-owned, mm-hmm. uh, owned by Al Harrington. That's my man, my man, Al Harrington. That's who Al, Al Harrington. Harrington. NBA Al That's Harrington. Right. Oh, you need to tell yes, him hi sir. for me. He used to come down there and uh, sure do will. some camps with uh, me and Steve Harvey back in Dallas back in the day. Oh, there you go. Yes, everybody loves Al Harrington. Yeah, he can talk wonderful. about it. His family's great. Yeah, and the, the the brand is actually named after his grandmother, Viola. Okay, cool. So um, mm-hmm. it's a fantastic opportunity. Um, and then Epitome Media Group is my own company. Um, and as your your 
your show focuses on entrepreneurship, I thought it was important to make sure that I mentioned my, my own company, um, which is a multimedia group that focuses on strategy, logistics, and, and media production. Uh, first uh, project was my, my published book, which I'm very excited about, and we're working on other content projects and um, an initiative coming down the pike. So it's good. It's a lot of fun. Isn't it really interesting? Like I said, you know, I managed Steve Harvey for 20 to, from 2000 to 2016, and I currently manage Stephen A. Smith. And, you know, I can wake up and tell you exactly what their blood pressures were in Steve's case, what, what's wrong, what, what favorite foods for Stephen A. Smith. But when, it's, when it came to trying to market myself, I realized I didn't know myself as much as I thought I should know or, or be willing to tell because you always shortchange yourself. So you're saying, hey, Epitome Media Group, the first thing out of the box was your book. What have you learned so far about marketing, you know, Erica Pittman, that you didn't know when you first started? That is a brilliant question. Um, you know, I, I, I really struggle. And you know what's interesting is, most people that are actually proficient in their craft right. tend to struggle when they focus on themselves. Like Absolutely. psychiatrists never know they're crazy. Doctors never know they're sick. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a running thing. And uh, for me, you know, as a marketer, I can come up with a million ideas for everyone else's projects. But when it comes to me, I really struggle. And part of the reason why I, it took me 12 years to write this book because I was so um, obsessed with making sure that it was, you know, my authentic self. And I just wanted everything to be perfect. And I felt like, if I don't succeed at marketing my book, it's going to be a reflection on my ability to, you know, do my craft. Um, and so I, I just think as, as, as an individual, I've put a lot of, a lot of barriers on myself and a lot of pressure to over deliver in areas that quite frankly didn't necessarily need that much energy. So it's been, that's the one thing that I've learned is that, you know, just sort of take it objectively um, and, and do what I know how to do. The other thing is uh, self-promotion. It is very hard for me, at least, to um, uh, elaborate about myself. Absolutely. Oh, I've done this. I've done that. Mm -hmm. I'm this great. I'm, it's just ridiculous to me. So, well, you tend to I discount your accomplishments. You tend to discount yes. your accomplishments. And that's, my staff has told that. I go, I say, I, I, I tell something like, you have a degree in mathematics? When, when are you going to tell us that? You, you worked at IBM. When are you going to tell us that? You know, you're a baker. You know, all these little things that I've trivialized. They go, hey, man, okay, I just, I, that's just part of my life, but that's part of your life. That's part of your story. That, you know, because uh -huh. people think, you know, people only know what you tell them, okay? They can Google your name. They see this attractive young lady, and they, they can also look at your backstory and go, she came from here. To there. But it's really that journey. That we tend to forget when we start to try to brand architect ourselves, you know, mm -hmm. coming from that humble beginnings in New York. You know, that is what I wanted to make sure that people understand that when you are a brand architect, the hardest brand to architect is sometimes yourself. Oh, yes. That is uh, that is a word. You are one billion percent <laughs> correct. This was the biggest hurdle in my entire career. Well, you well you jumped a lot <laughs> yeah. of hurdles in this book. The book I'm, we're about to talk about, what Mama, what Mommy, what Mommy never told you, uh, written by Erica Pittman. Uh, it was a lot of interesting names tied to this book, like Mitzi Miller, 
I met mm-hmm. Mitzi uh, when she was at Jet Magazine up in Chicago when I was doing the talk show That's up right. there. Went down and said that. That when she had the bad foot. I think she had that bad foot. She had something to tore Achilles. She did. We just talked about that foot yeah, this yeah. weekend. Yeah, the bad <laughs> foot, you know. So she wasn't too hot looking, you know, when I met her, you know, when up there. But then she went on and did the television series, uh, television movie that went, did great ratings, I believe, down the line. And then I see uh, on the back of the book, I see uh, Miss Hilton, who I love, fashion designer, extraordinaire. She's been on Money Making Conversations. Beverly Bonds, who I long history, Black Girls Rock. She's been on Money Making Conversations. So I'm just letting you know, my friend, that you are in great with our heritage. So I, I don't know how I've not met you. You know, I know we know so many people in common. We we have to kind of meet per- personally face to face at some point in life. You know, you know, you go on social media, they'll tell you where well, this person knows 145 people that, you know, or, 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 or 15 people, you know, that's you. You know, you you you're my six degrees of separation in this world of digital and social media. But but the, the thing that I want to pull out at the very beginning of the book, because one thing about talking about a book, you don't want to give away the content of the book, just the things that motivate people to why they should buy this book. We said, I want all young women to experience their greatest truth and realize their potential. Now I have a 22 year old daughter. When you, when I read that statement, what do you, what are you referencing for her to understand? Um, I, I, I want her to understand her power mm-hmm. and her God given talent. Uh, we as women tend to diminish who we are and, and how we show up in the world. Right. And we make excuses for our gifts, um, to your earlier point. Um, and, and I want young women to get very, very clear as early as possible who they are and what they want for their lives. Because the minute we know and we're rooted and grounded in our purpose and our vision for our lives, the sooner we can get to the business of doing it. I think about, uh, you know, Venus and Serena Williams or Tiger Woods who, you know, their paths were sort of ordained as toddlers. So at three or four years old, you learn your craft, and by the time you're 17 or 18 years old, you've mastered it. So the sooner we can get clear about what we contribute to the world and where we want to be in the world, the sooner we can get to the business of getting that done. Absolutely. Now, it was something you noted, and I heard you really clear. You wanted to, you said, Rashad, I want to let everybody know I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. And that was Epitome, yeah. Epitome Media Group. Now, yeah. women, especially African-American women or women of color, are the fastest growing entrepreneurial group in America. And yeah. um, wh- I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Why is that? Why is that? That is a broad From, question. Well, let, me, let, 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 let me back up. Let me back up. Let me back up. That wasn't fair. That wasn't fair. Why? Okay, because you made note that you were an entrepreneur. That was a conscious effort on your part. And, and African-American women are the growing, the fastest growing portion of entrepreneurial entrepreneurship opportunities in America today. Why is it important that you be recognized as an entrepreneur and also a person of color? You really have a gift. That is a brilliant question. <laughs> it's funny because I, um, I I say it out loud because I am learning to own it. Because there is a mentality that goes into being an entrepreneur. And there is a way that you have to operate in your life as an entrepreneur. And for me, it, was, it took a very, very long time for me to accept that I was an entrepreneur. As a, um, an employee, right, the, the better half of my career, has, I've achieved tremendous success working for others. And, um, and building institutions within the guise of the security right. of those, those, those companies and someone else's idea. 
whereas entrepreneurship is a completely different lane. And the the methodology that applies to growing within a pre-existing organization is radically different from the, the, the methodology to being a successful entrepreneur. So it's important for me to recognize that part of my, my life and that part of myself so that I prioritize it. Because even in my language, I said, well, first and foremost, let me talk about Viola. Well, why right. would I do that if I'm going to interview about what mommy never told you? Mm-hmm. And so that's my, you know, my long standing positioning of building other people's ideas and dreams and not my own. Right. So it's very important that you point that out. And I had to, I have to make a conscious effort to own that I'm an entrepreneur. Like I had to own that I was an author. I didn't think I was an author for a very long time. And I had a manuscript done and it's like, you are an author. You have to own that so that you can lean into that and, and build from there. And that was what that original statement meant. Well, I'm going to call her EP for short. That's executive producer. She run things. A lot of people don't understand that. And Erica Pittman. Oh, Erica Pittman, you know. But EP run things. EP run things. Okay. So as we as we go through this book, and I told in the first half of the interview, I said, I want all young women to experience their greatest truth and realize their potential. I want to move forward real deep into the book because of the fact that it was one part of the book that really, it's several parts of the book that really, uh, really made me laugh because of the fact that uh, one of the chapters was uh, in the set the bar high chapter. Uh, you was with your girlfriends in Miami and uh, just doing girlfriend talk and just talking about the business because there was young professionals in that conversation. And uh, a guy overheard you talking, obviously a nosy guy or either he was nosy, Erica, or you guys were talking loud. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but he heard y'all he heard y'all he said won't y'all stop he gave some advice one just a, dipped into y'all world and dipped out I always call that an angel move because you know you never saw the guy again and guess what why is he talking to us okay and he said stop talking about what happened and start planning what is next and yeah. that is such an advanced thought process that a lot of people don't do when they start a business or they start thinking about their career, they always complain. They, they will complain about bad relationships, complain about when they got messed over, complain about jobs, or complain about missed opportunities. If you keep looking back about the what ifs, you can't plan what is to come. And that's all he was saying. How important was it for you guys to, you know, first ignore the fact he butted into you guys' conversation, but accept the information that he gave you that, beca- that became a part, an important part of the book, I felt. Yes. Yes, it was. And it's an important part of my life. Um, and, uh, and to your point about, you know, angel moments, it was so profound that it literally stopped us in our tracks. And, and, and forged a whole separate conversation. Um, and it's really, really, and that, and that was where I really became solution-based in my life. Um, uh, it was just really an aha moment about, you know, it doesn't matter what happened. Well, all you can focus on is what's next. You yeah. learn the lesson, you pull the tools, and you move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, luckily, it happened early enough on in, in my own life and career that I was able to apply it and be tremendously successful. And so to this day, I don't spend a ton of time lamenting over a particular situation, whether it's good or bad, right? Because I believe you're only as good as your last sale right. and I'll always be closing Glenn Burney, uh, the movie. Mm-hmm. And then the other pieces, you know, don't look back. You're not going that way. You have to, you have to move forward. So it, it just, it really was an eye opener for me that someone could objectively hear our, our talking and our cadence and say, well, wait a minute, you know, you guys are spending way too much time on stuff that doesn't matter. Where are you headed? 
So it, it was it was a brilliant opportunity for me, one of many that that really helped me through my life. Well, let me let me bring that. I, I have a um, you know when you when you manage talent, a lot of times you can only make decisions within your scope of thought process. You know, you can't go to mm-hmm. different people and and you know when, when she makes the statement, um, "Don't look back." We're not talking. We, we're, we're not telling you to forget. Because it's, it's important you remember mistakes. It's, it's important you remember success stories, but not to allow that to stop you from planning your future muse. Because your future muse, because of the fact fear can stop you. You know, fear of failure right. can stop you. And that's what we're talking about right here. I, I, I am never, I always tell people, when you move into a zone in your life where you're uncomfortable or you are nervous or you have to think a lot faster, that's good. Because you enter in a temp- territory that you need to move into to be successful. And that's all that young man, uh, well, I always say I won't call him young man. I'm sure he was worldly when he told you guys. Otherwise, y'all wouldn't even have t- accepted his advice if he was like 20 years old. Who's that young fool? Get, get out of here. And But it, it, <laughs> first, it had to be somebody who looked like he had some advice to give. Once you got, guys got over the shock of him interrupting y'all conversation. But that's in the chapter, set the bar high. But also in that chapter, which is the funniest chapter to me, is knowing your value. My boy, Keith, Clint Scale. Yeah. And I know him. I know Cleet. Like the last time I was in New York several years ago, we ate at, uh, at a lunch, ate lunch. And we was talking about some stuff. And um, it made you mad because this man was trying to get you more money. And you were, and you <laughs> thought you about to lose the little bit of money they were offering you. And that is mm-hmm. so true. I cannot tell you how many times I've been negotiating deals. People go, hey, man, I'm cool with that amount. Hey, 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 bro. But they got more. They got mm-hmm. more. It's called negotiations because everybody okay. know how to say no in negotiations. Understand that now. Hear me when I say this. If somebody come to you with an offer, if they come to you with an offer, do not say yes. You give them a counter offer and you want to give them a counter offer that's kind of extreme because, you know, because mm-hmm. whatever, whatever they come back with you, they're going to drop off that number anyway. So you don't want to come back or oh, go up a little bit like 10 percent. You want to go up like 50 percent. So when they come mm-hmm. back, they're going to drop down below that. So just just tell everybody how he was a person who was, was experienced. That's what you was missing in this negotiation was experience. And mm-hmm. he brought that experience to the table, which leads us into this whole conversation, the importance of mentorship, which really lays out a lot of different. You mentioned that a lot in your book, male and female mentorship. Tell us about that, Absolutely. Erica. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so Keith Clinkfield is one of many male mentors in my life that really helped navigate, you know, my own personal negotiation skills and business acumen. Uh, Steve Stout happened to be another really fantastic mentor um, midway throughout my career. I could, I could another name. You, but the- <laughs> That's my boy, Steve Stout. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't yeah, believe I've never met you. I cannot believe this, Erica. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I have been blessed to to really uh, interact with some phenomenal talent throughout my life and career. Um, and, you know, just one of the things that I learned in that scenario with Keith and even a gentleman by the name of Stephen Gold before Keith is understanding your worth and understanding how to evaluate yourself in the marketplace. And, and also, a thing that women need to understand is this is just, this is fact. Women are paid, you know, 40 to 60 cents on the dollar, depending on your race. Right. Um, and we are 
absolutely discounted in every single arena that we enter. So if you ask for $100, they're only going to believe they need to give you 40 to $60. Mm-hmm. And in knowing that, you have to combat that and A, evaluating yourself in a way that makes sense. So proven track record, making sure that your package, your presentation, your pitch make the most sense to create the, 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 the sort of the substance for your ask. And then to your point, Rashawn, is asking a little bit more than what you think you want so mm-hmm. you can get what you need, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so when he showed me that, I was so, I didn't think I was worthy of the the opportunity mm-hmm. that was presented to me. Mm-hmm. So I was willing to take whatever it was they had to give me because it was more than what I even was making in the moment. Right. But what Keith showed me is I was more valuable to that organization and I needed to leverage that to get what I really wanted. And it, it, the rest is history. I've been able to negotiate my salary in mm-hmm. ways that have been, you know, really unprecedented for me or anyone in my family. And it's a good segue to first generational uh, uh, hurdles. And that's really what, what mommy never told you was about. Because I get so many times people ask me, well, what didn't mommy tell you? And I have to elaborate that my mother gave me as much as she could give me. Mm-hmm. Right? She nurtured, she supported, she directed, she guided. But there's just some things she's never done. So she has no, no insight on the best approach to doing it. So, you know, as a first generational professional at this level, there, there are so many things that I just don't know how to do and a lot of financial gaps for us as a community and a whole host of other things. And having mentors is where you can tap into that experience and expertise to, to get some safe guidance on how to do it successfully. Absolutely. And uh, I just I just was uh, tickled to death that you was mad at him. And uh, oh, all, I was he, so all, all he was trying to do, Erica, was get you more money. Get, get your value but together. He, but he, you know Keith Plankfield the way I know Keith Plankfield. <laughs> he's not gentle about what he's doing. He completely oh, absolutely. demoed oh, absolutely. everything. I, I know him. That's why, <laughs> that's why I laugh because you go, no, he didn't blow. Hey, I was happy. I was. These people wanted me. What is he saying? And then he wasn't talking to you. He was just making decisions without you. Okay, oh, I, I told him. Oh, just completely the whole process. Well, <laughs> well, you can at least ask me, me Keith. What I think about that dollar I, no, amount. No, no, I didn't need to ask. I didn't, do it. I didn't you know what you're talking about. I didn't need to ask anything. Like, That's oh, funny. Okay. Uh, I know we're about to wrap up here, but I wanted to uh, talk about uh, there's, there's so many things I can talk about in the book. I'm talking to Erica Pittman, um, EP in my game, executive producer. That's what I call her because she run things. You know, that's, that's going to be her <laughs> subtitle, you know, because she run things. Just things. That's it. Because she run things. Um, is a chapter book under define and control your own narrative, which I always talk about. I think in 2020, that's uh, uh, that's what I, I, I sat down with a, um, a specialist about, like I said, to, to wanted to find out who who relates to Rashawn McDonald, what age group relates to Rashawn McDonald, what my colors, what the people are attracted to. Do they like me casual? Do they like me in a suit? And also, so I really actually went to somebody to tell me who Rashawn McDonald was and who wants to listen to Rashawn McDonald. And when you get into the chapter to find and control your own narrative, you say this at the age of 33, you made it out of the projects and was part of the top 5% of income earners in America. Now, a lot of people don't understand that. That's, that's powerful. That's powerful because you are now, you're now navigating waters. When you go in the grocery store, you just pick things up. The way mm-hmm. about on sale, you just pick it up. Okay, you go buy some mm-hmm. shoes. Hey, I have a couple of pair. Okay, I have a couple of pair. Uh, that car put the, put a few more features on that car. I like that. Okay, you know I don't mind flying first class every once in a while. 
because I'm in the top five, but you don't know these things. And and the thing about mm-hmm. it, you didn't know. And when you look back on it, Erica, you didn't know that's all it took. That's all I had to make yep. to get in the top 5%. So you mean the rest of the 95% of America is living under this level? That is an eye opener because it makes you realize that to get to the haves, it's a lot of work. But when you get in that world, all you want to do is keep getting to the 4%, the 2%. <laughs> That's your goal now. And so mm-hmm. but, but staying there is rough. And I always tell people longevity is a beautiful thing, but it's a lot of work. Yeah. I tell people 24 hours in a day, always learn how to use every hour in a day. So when you make that statement about at the age of 33, you made it out of the projects. It was part of the top five, top 5% of income earners in America. Why do you make that statement in your book? Um, I think it's important for, you know, those of us that perhaps come from humble beginnings to realize that, we, you know, a, 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 it's possible for anyone. Um, you know, I, I often say everyone can't be Oprah Winfrey or Michelle Obama, who also is a great example of coming from humble beginnings yeah. and, you know, sort of reaching a pinnacle of success. Um, but everyone can't be those those archetypes. But, you know, everyday people, you know, with the right mind frame and the, the right commitment and persistence, can, can make it happen. And, and to your point, it is not as difficult as it seems because the, the better half of the world is not necessarily as successful as the 5%. Right. So, um, yeah. So I just, I wanted people to see that it, it's achievable and I'm not just sort of blowing smoke with, right. with my messaging and, and my strategies. Well, you're not blowing smoke here. I appreciate the honesty <laughs> in your book. You made me laugh. You made me take a little note because I love reading books like your books because I like to believe I'm a successful person. And when I when I read books like yours, it's like a master class. You know, oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. She made me remember. OK, cool. Good. Rashawn McDonald is still in the right lanes of success. And that's what you will get when you read the book. What Mommy Never Told You, written by Erica Pittman, uh, E.P., that's my girl, you know, executive producer, because she run things. Erica, thank you for coming on my show, okay? Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> if you want to hear uh, more Money Making Conversation interviews, interviews, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I'm your host. My next guest, dear friend, is an Emmy Award winning and two-time NAACP Image Award winning multimedia personality. That includes Sirius XM's Cafe Mocha radio show. Talk show co-host on The Real, comedian, entrepreneur, and actress. She's on the show to talk about her very, very funny memoir. I tried to change so you don't have to. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation again, <laughs> Lonnie Love. <laughs> hey, what's Thank you for the time. Lonnie, I'm telling you something. Let me just read this little, just what I took from the book, because I want to set the stage before we start writing, talking about this very funny book and a very funny book, memoir. In reading this book, this came from you. In reading this book, you should remember that I am a comedian. I'm also a television host and an actress and electrical engineer. This is my memoir and it tells you about my life, but it's a tale told from a comedian perspective, a comic perspective. And I believe that this entitles me to a good number of liberties. I reordered and combined events and people. I changed a whole lot of names and identified details and I've exaggerated and made some things up altogether. I hope. Make you smile or even laugh, but I have not changed the reality of my life, where I came from, and how I've got here today. Ladies and gentlemen, Lonnie Love. That's beautiful. No, that's called when the attorney talks to you. Yeah, absolutely. Say, Can you write something? Absolutely. Lonnie, you know, I, you know you, you've been on the show before, and I'm a big fan of yours. And, uh, I, you know, it always, uh, I, 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 you know, like, um, 
I always call you or text you uh, just, just to let you know I love you and uh, you're just a gifted young lady and uh, never be down on yourself. And I read this book. It's a journey from Detroit to Houston, Texas, to El Segundo, to Los Angeles, I guess you could say that. <laughs> it all started in Detroit. Tell us about that, that start. And then I want to break down some of my favorite chapters, like chapter eight, when you were thrown in jail. That's, that is, has to be the funniest <laughs> The funniest chapter. And I, I, you know, I read a lot of books now. I'm just tell, let me just tell everybody, I'm talking to Lonnie Love now. This is her book now. This is her memoir. I tried to change so you don't have to. I'm, I'm telling well, I you. Think, hmm? I just think everybody should tell their journey. And especially people of color, people don't understand how hard it is for us to make it. That's why I want everybody, especially during the pandemic, right. to share their story. Right. You know, and so this is my story. I grew up in Detroit in the Brewster Project, and it just takes you through that whole life thing because, you know, some people only know me from The Real or from Chelsea Lately or, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the shows that Rashawn would put me on. <laughs> um, so, Thank you. Uh, but, you know, it's a whole journey, and I just wanted the people to understand understand you know my journey and why i appreciate where i am why I'm, I'm vulnerable at times why i'm sensitive at times while i'm strong at times because the fact is is that it hasn't been a, a easy road and um i also wanted to inspire and give people some hope so that's that's what you're reading and it's it's just a love letter to my fans that's what it is it's a, it's an honest letter and the thing about it is that i've read a lot of memoirs doing the show money making conversations but the i loved yours because it was just funny but it's also truthful. It was also painful. <laughs> it was also, I was like, you know, I had a reason to cry. I had a reason to feel sorry for you. I had a reason to root for you. I had a reason to call you a fool. You know, girl, that's stupid. Why you do that? And But one of the things that came out that stood out for me was like, you know, you know, it was a point in your life where you were surrounded by blackness. That's why I call uh, in, the, it's in your book. You even mentioned it yourself. Surrounded by blackness protected you. The HBCU experience at Prairie View and m the black sisters of your sorority, Delta Sigma Theta. It defined the importance to me right now of why black lives matter. That little when I got to that part of the book, it just it just felt so current to me. And why it was important mm-hmm. that you 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 experience that HBCU experience and being surrounded by the sisterhood who bailed you out of jail. Uh, uh, Delta mm-hmm. Sigma. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Thank you to my sorority. They 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 had you know they they had them credit cards. They was able to do that, and they you know, and I had to lean way on the shield that that night. I almost fell off leaning on the shield. You know that hard with but it's just um, it's a wonderful story of how. You know, at 19 years old, even though I was growing up in the projects, I knew nothing about um, the police because my mom always protected me from that. You mm-hmm. know, the police never came in the projects unless, you know, somebody got shot. Mm-hmm. So I didn't I didn't have this experience till I was in college. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize, you know, I didn't have to talk. I didn't know nothing about you know, uh, racist cops and, you know, mm-hmm. I've never, I've never experienced that. So when I experienced it and the story is so interesting, it, it goes through the whole process of being arrested, you know, going to the booking center, um, because I was, it was a felony for trespassing, yes. walking in a kitchen. I was put in a, you know, in a cell with, you know, murderers and felons and stuff like that at 19 years old with no experience so it's it's, it's, and it's i'm able to come out of it but it really does 
relate to what's happening today, Rashawn, with what's happening with, you know, um, the over-policing of people, the inequalities that police have against black people. And it's a story that's relatable. You know, a reason I like the book is that I kind of understand you a lot more, you know, because you're really outspoken. And you, you first of all, you're coming from, you know, when you talk about prison or jail or wrongfully incarcerated or talk about uh, being called out by your name, racial statements thrown you away, you know, and people don't really understand. That's why I really, when I look at the white people protesting or marching, I, I really makes me feel good. Maybe they starting to understand that this is uh-huh. not something we're making up. You know, this is this is something that I know you can't ever relate to it because being a black is an everyday challenge. I don't care right. what flag they take down at NASCAR, what flag they take down at Mississippi. We still going to be challenged by our, our darkness, our, our color tone. And the thing about it in your book, when I would is, is the church is in, the church plays a role. Miss Eva, Jehovah Witness, you know mm-hmm. how she built those. Just talk about some of the ladies besides your mom who played an important defining mm-hmm. role in your personality there, how you looked at life, how you looked at love, how you looked at relationships and all that stuff. Talk about the other women that were important in your life in this book. Well, the the love that I developed for black women came from my foundation. You know, I had a babysitter. Her name was Miss Brooks. She was Jehovah's Witness, who I spent a lot of my uh, time with. That's where I got my religious backing from. Mm -hmm. Um, I had Miss Eva. Mm -hmm. Um, Ice cream Eva. Yeah, she was a a Bible study lady. You know, I had my um, Girl Scout troop leader. And these were women that impacted me so much that they cared for me and they took care of me. And this was the foundation that and I think that it's important when they say a village, it takes a village to raise a child. It really, really does. But then also is my relationship you know, with um, men in general was was actually defined in that era as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the caring of, of black brothers and sisters, you know, was also defined from that. So it's like when I meet people like the fabulous Rashawn McDonald, Thank you. Um, we're able to connect mm-hmm. because we down home people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so that's so all of this you can, you know, read about it in the book and, and you can really see and feel the foundation. But I mean the thing if, if anybody I want them to take away from is that if you feel hopeless Yes. Um, if you need some inspiration, yes. um, understand that you are um, from a strong stock of people. Right. And we constantly prove it all the time. And I'm just waiting on your book, Rashawn. That's what I'm waiting on. <laughs> well, That's- thank you. Well, I, I, it's coming, but I'm going to tell you something. This book, I'm telling you, Barnes & Noble, you can get online right now. The book is on sale right yeah. now. Please go out and buy it. And the thing that, because it's, it's some relatable things to me in there. I'm a male, but it's very relatable because this book is about <laughs> motivation. It's about inspire. It's yeah. overcoming the odds. And one of the things yeah. was when she came out of high school, you know, bright, call a nerd. My degree was in mathematics. So in her school uh-huh. was mathematics. She got a degree in electrical engineering and she just went to work for, you know, the, the, was it GM? GM or for, it was yep. one of the, General, Motors. General Motors went on the line, just just yep. putting carpet, gluing carpet down. When I graduated yep. from high school, I I became a forklift driver. I thought that was my level. I thought that that's yep. it had a it, it had a nice hourly check tied to it. And I thought that was my level, but somebody yep. saw more more in me more in me than I saw in myself. And that's really where mentoring comes in. That's why it's important. I see the role that you play out there. I see registering people to vote. I've seen how you realize that, look, 
look in your book, then it, then it, it, it talks about accepting who you are when you're trying mm-hmm. to lose all that weight, yeah. trying to be something yeah. that you're not. And that's really, yeah. and I, I want to let people know I, that this book is so relatable because it talks about issues and trusting yourself and not listening to other people who say you should be doing this. Trust your, it's, it's, it's really an amazing story. Very funny. But very, but very telling as to what we need to read today to be motivated to be successful. Great job and, on this book, Lonnie. Great, great well, job. I appreciate it. I I appreciate everybody that's that's rediscovering it and reading about it. It's great reviews. Amazon has been number one, and memoirs is number one in comedy for new releases. So, um, and again, I can't wait to get your book. But we are just parallel and. I, uh, you know, when it comes to being like that manual and how yes. somebody came and helped us, yes. it's just it's a, it's a it's a great story, and I'm just thankful that I'm able to, to live to still tell it. So, and, and then we and then, and then we did something else. We we were musically inclined, and we love classic <laughs> music. See, I was a B flat clarinet. I, that was me. So you you couldn't handle that. You went over to the French horn, and I'm gonna tell you something. <laughs> I'm gonna tell anybody this about the French horn. That is the most difficult instrument to play because if you don't put your hands in there right and move it right right now the sounds you could just keep blowing on that thing forever so for you to go from for you to walk past a a b-flat clarinet and go over to a french horn girl (laughs) hands down (laughs) you a bad sister okay and you could also use it as a weapon. When you <laughs> it, it, it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful with the journey as we as we go through this book. You know, it, 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 let me just tell everybody about the book and the sense of how it breaks down. It talks about the early years and the projects, and then it talks. Right. Then that's part of her life. That's important. That, was the, that first eighteen years. Then it talks specifically about her college life. Her friends, how she got to college, how that played an important role. And each lo- each one of those layers is defining for her because, you know, she didn't want to leave home when she was asked to leave home. And then right. she wasn't really ready to go to college, but she saw an opportunity to go. She went. She learned how to pivot. That's, this book is about pivoting, too, because in this book, Lonnie is a great pivoter. She see an opportunity. She going. And it's going to give 100%. A lot of people pivot and they kind of ease over that line. You don't do that, do you? <laughs> no, no, I don't. I, I really like telling the story, telling the truth, but putting, bringing levity. At the end of every chapter is a, a list of jokes. Yes. Because some stories in the book are, are dark. Some stories are sad. Some stories are really happy. But I want people to know that after every chapter, there's levity. Yes. And I think that that's important because it, it, it shapes your, your, your frame of mind differently. So to know that you can get out of anything, even though it seems impossible, you could get out of anything. And this is a story for men, women, young, old. Yes. If you're at a point in your life where you trying to reach and you kind of like you need some motivation you read this book you know i mean if you're trying to find love you know i talk about that oh yes you do where you need to you know you get in situations where you know things ain't working out or you know it's that's the part where really Rashawn. i have to say we were um the chapter in real talk Mm -hmm. where i really leaned on Rashawn to give me advice and it really helped me to get through the situation I was in my TV show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, understanding the studio system, mm-hmm. all of that is explained because, 
you know, it's real easy for people to see the the, the front side of certain things, of television shows and things. They yes. don't understand the, the behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Even way back, my first movie, people don't, you know, a lot of people don't know that I was, my first movie was Soul Plane. Oh, yes. And that's when we all thought it was going to make us all a star. Kevin Hart, Monique, all of us. Snoop Dogg. D.L. Hughley. Mm-hmm. You know, it tells the whole, the whole story is explained, but it's all, and I have so many more stories, but, you know, because I keep a diary and I tell anybody, you know, right now we're living in historic times. Yes, Keep a diary or a journal, you know, so that you can look back in five years and see where you come from and what you were dealing with. So these are like just a few stories that I put together and it kind of tells the stories, the beginning story. And um, it's just something that I'm just, I'm just amazed that people, and I'm grateful that people see it and now they got a, they have a better understanding. But more importantly, black people are different. We're not all the same. We're not. But, you know, and it's, that's why it's important to push our stories and get our stories out so that they know that we're real living and breathing people so that they will stop killing us so that they, they understand that, wow, these people, you know, because they, they think that they can't relate to us. But the whole point is we're living and breathing people and we have to share our stories to show them the experiences that we've come through. And that's what that's what we're doing. Wow. I'm talking to an Emmy Award winning. She talks about that in the book. Two time NAACP Image Award winning uh, co-host of The Real. She's a comedian. Very funny. Entrepreneur. Great clothing line. An actress. You've seen her on TV. More importantly, she has a very, very funny memoir. I tried to change so you don't have to. Amazon, number one. Barnes and Noble, go get it. Lonnie Love, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing. You know, I'm going to put it on my social media. You know, I don't, you know how I do with you. Okay. Yes, you uh, on Wednesday, it's going out of my fan club, 90,000. Wednesday morning at nine o'clock, it's going out there. So <laughs> I support you, my friend. I just wanted to talk about that book. I know you got a lot of things going on. I'm short on time, but I, I want to make sure I gave the love for this memoir that people need to, need to hear. I read this book. It's funny. I've learned some things about myself. I learned a lot of things about Lonnie Love, but more important, it's a love story. And that's yeah. that's beautiful. It's a love story about her life, yeah. the people who entered her life, how they shaped her life, and how she's happy being herself when she looks in the mirror yeah. with the person who likes what he sees in the mirror, too. Thank you, Lonnie, for calling my show. Thank you so much, Rashawn, for the time. Blessings, brother. I appreciate you. Stay strong. Stay strong. If you want to hear more money-making conversations, please go to moneymakingconversations.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I'm your host. My guest is someone you've seen grow up on television, starring in sitcoms, dramas, and film. He is an Emmy-nominated veteran TV and film actor, social activist, relationship coach, and author of Male vs. Man. He is currently ambassador for Delta Airlines' annual Dream Flight and ambassador for PGA's Beyond the Green mentoring program for youth and college students. He is on the show to discuss his new book, Male vs. Man, which I have read and love it. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, my man, Dondre Whitfield. My brother. <laughs> hey, brother. Let's my just, brother. Let's, just, let's get rolling, man. Let's, hey, you know, I'll tell you something, man. I've, I've been knowing you years, man, and uh, the humbleness of your of you is always something that stood out about me when I met you because of the fact that there was always that, that look. You always had that look, man, of what can I do next? Explain that about that. Before we get into detail, I know that's, that's a look that I always was like, man, I love that dude, man, because he really does care. Why Why is that passion in so much in you, Dondre? 
Because I know that when people really care about someone, they invest in them what's mm-hmm. necessary mm-hmm. in order to get them to come to the fullness of their life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Many of our children in uh, underserved and under-resourced neighborhoods, like the one I grew up in in Brooklyn, right. if we had the resources, um, if we had the kind of care, if people took the kind of time to invest in our kids, our kids, look, our kids do it in spite of not having all of those things mm-hmm. at times. So can you imagine if they had proper resourcing? One of the things that's, um, that's really eye opening in the conversation of what we, what we're having about policing right now is defunding the police mm-hmm. in order to properly fund our neighborhoods. Right. Right. And our neighborhoods is really funding our children. Mm-hmm. Right. What do they need? We've got we've got uh, we need social work. Our children are experiencing PTSD. Mm-hmm. They don't have to turn on the television to see violence being committed against them. They're watching it every single day in their own neighborhoods. Right. They're watching it every single day in their own homes. So for me, I know that as a kid growing up in Brooklyn, I, I was impacted greatly when people took the time to invest energy in right. me. And so every single day as a man, I know that that's that that's my purpose in life. And that's important. And you deliver it. I've seen you in many times with uh, you know, Steve and I, Steve, Steve Harvey and I had the mentoring camps. Man, it wasn't mm-hmm. a long phone call to get you there, brother. You were there and just was there. As, no. And, and guess what? Wasn't dressed like a star. You was just like a regular guy. You just ready to work. You know, yes, tennis sir. shoes on. Yes, sir. You know, little, little yes, warm-up pants and just a T-shirt if that was, that's all you needed. Because you saw something yes, in these young people that you know only you through your effort. And I, I said you. There's other, others there. But you take of it course. personal. You take it personal, though. And well, that's what I know, like about you. Know, you. You know what I saw in in all of those uh, young brothers? I mm-hmm. saw myself. Yes. Mm-hmm. So even even I didn't even get an invitation to the mentoring camp. Mm-hmm. I had to reach. I reached out to Steve's um, to Steve's folks. Right. Mm-hmm. I got a, a, a conversation with one of his daughters first mm-hmm. to say, "Yo, you guys need to have me there." Right. So I remember. I yeah. my like I begged my way in the in the getting there, mm-hmm. and then. You know, many of our brothers, and, and this is not a knock on any of them, but many of our brothers came in for the day and then they left. That's what I'm talking I about. I had a conversation. I had a conversation with my with my two kids, my, mm-hmm. my daughter and my son. Right. And I said, I need your permission because it happens over Father's Day weekend. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, it so does. Mm-hmm. I had a conversation with my do- with my daughter and my son to say, I need your permission. Mm-hmm. I need you to lend me to those kids that don't have a father. So I stayed there the entire weekend. Right. I was actually the only brother there, aside from, of course, Brother Steve and yourself. I was the only father there, the only quote unquote celeb there that was actually there on Father's Day. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I did that because I know that our young, you know, uh, our young brothers need to be able to, to, to feel that. Like they can tell when you come in to make an appearance or whether you're truly invested. Can't they do? Right? Oh, they can tell that, man. They can tell yeah, man. when you're there for the shine. You're there for the They the can moment. tell when you're there for the shine. For the hype. When you're there for the like. Ooh. Yes. They they can and they yeah. and, and they and they mad about it too. 
because it's been done so yes. many times. That's why man's not in there. That's why they, they won't. And that's why they won't listen to you because mm-hmm. they can tell they can see through that. Mm-hmm. Right. When you grow up in the street, you learn how to recognize the BS. Right. right. You learn how to like size people up and go, oh, man, this dude is making an appearance. Mm-hmm. As soon as those cameras turn off, watch him turn off. Wow. Right. They can they can steal it. Right. And I wanted those brothers to know, yo, man, no, 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 no. I'm going to be here. I didn't leave the camp. Matter of fact, the first day at the camp, my first day at the camp, I stayed so long that I actually <laughs> missed the rides back to That's the hotel. A, absolutely true. That's a true story. Absolutely. You remember that? Absolutely. Because you like, came to me, I, you go, you say, hey, man, I need a ride. I go, a ride? I need, need a ride. You, a ride. you, you didn't the kiss the band gone. back? <laughs> nah, man. I've been here dealing with the, with the kids. Yes, sir. I'm like, I ain't got no way back to get to the hotel. Yes, like, sir. Like, that's putting in work, Yes, fam. sir. Mm-hmm. And you know it. Absolutely. Yes, indeed. You know, and, and the reason I brought that story up and just our relationship, because I want to let everybody know why this book is important. There's always been a passion mission for him throughout his life. This finally allows us to read why is it so passionate in the words? The book I'm talking about is Male versus Man. Um, this is an amazing book. Uh, Mr. Whitfield, I'm calling you Mr. Whitfield, okay? Because you're preaching to me. You're preaching to me in this book. But when I got to Moses, you know, when the Moses, I, I, I was looking for a plate. I was looking for a plate. I was looking for a plate. I had to put some money in it. And the thing about it is that tell us the importance of, importance of male versus man. And we're going to break down some detail about it because it was some personal stuff that you mentioned in your book that hit home for me and that's important yeah. just the people I knew a person I knew and I and I want to yeah. reflect on that but tell us the importance of male versus man well you know there is as I as I tee up in the book and as I uh, I often say when I speak that every man that you meet is a male but not every male that you meet is a man there's a huge difference between being a male and being a man So being a male, male is the gender that we were chosen to be, but man is the job that we choose to do. So males look to serve themselves while men look to serve others. They look to be of service. Mm -hmm. Males look to be served. There's Mm -hmm. a huge difference Mm -hmm. between being a male and being a man. And many of our brothers their development into manhood gets arrested at a very specific and early age, particularly when they don't have their father around to give them manhood messaging. Now watch this. Just because you're the, you're the person who gave you their DNA in your mm-hmm. biological father, mm-hmm. just because you have them in your life mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get the messaging that you need in order for you to matriculate in the manhood. Cause what if your father never got the messaging that he needed? Right. Right. Your father can't give you something that he never got. Mm-hmm. So many of our young brothers never properly matriculate in the manhood because they never receive manhood messaging. My father was in and out of jail my entire life throughout my adolescence. So I never got the messaging that I needed from my father. But here's the thing. My father never got the messaging that he needed either. So my father couldn't father me because he himself was unfathered. Right. And in writing this book, I said to myself, you know what? 
and and this this came after me reconciling with my father after right. 20 years of the two of us being estranged from each other at 26 at 26 years old i threatened my father i told him if i ever saw him again one of us wasn't wasn't going to be here and it, it wasn't going to be me right and uh so i can't say exactly what i said because i don't speak that way anymore right right but that's one of the Lucas, one of the Lu- laws of Lucas, t- w- Book of Lucas. Without a doubt, right? So in 26, I, boy, you breaking it down, Sean. Now I get it, man. You really read this book. Oh, my gosh. Come on, man. So we're going to get to the Book of Lucas in a minute. But boy, I can't even believe you breaking me up. Okay. So literally, I, I wrote this book because what I wanted to do was I wanted to, um, I wanted to break down um, for my father, my, I knew that my father could have been a great man mm-hmm. had he had great instruction. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, and so did. I said, if my father, if I need to write the playbook for manhood, that if my father had, it would have enabled him to become a great man. Right. Mm-hmm. And thankfully I have an 11 year old son. Thankfully I'm in his life. But what if God calls me home sooner than I anticipate? Right. Mm-hmm. I need to have a playbook for manhood that my son can immediately go to and say, okay, here's, here's what it is. Right. So this was the purpose behind me writing uh, male versus man. Beautiful. And uh, I want to make note, like I said, you know, your faith has become strong in your life has been a, 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 a passage, a rite of passage for you. And then when you reunite with your father, he found Islam. And so, yes. so, so it's, it, it's all about a journey. Like I said, his journey was through incarceration. Okay. Before he mm-hmm. found his faith. Okay. And yes. a cl- which allows you, you and him to have a clear understanding of how you can yes. t- communicate with each other. Your, your, your journey to your faith in the book of Lucas. Okay. Is, mm-hmm. is a, been derived through allowing us to see you grow. And play out television, you know, movies, and films. You know, starting on the Cosby Show, all that stuff. You know, little cute little boy. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. so, and but along the way, there are tragic moments that pop up. I can I can tell you this, man. When I was uh, I want to say I was about five years old. One of my good friends, you know, he was blowing up a balloon and it sucked it down, and he he inhaled it, and it and he choked and died. That had a I'm mm-hmm. telling you, something, man. That had a lasting effect. It's, even now, it's, it's to me. I, I can understand why you need counseling. Why they said get counseling, yes. get counseling, get counseling. Yep. Because nobody, yep. nobody, I'm a black neighbor. I'm a black kid in the hood. There wasn't no counseling. You That's know? right. Well, no. just just feel Not sorry for him. He, he, you know, it, yep. you know, God called him home. You know, it was his yep. time. All those classic statements mm-hmm. you get. Now, yep. a young man that you and I both knew. Uh, I was uh, Steve Harvey and I was doing uh, Name Two Point Three The Beat, and um, in Los Angeles. Pop, most popular radio format in LA at the time. And uh, mm-hmm. Amon Parker used to come up to the station. Yes. Good looking young yep. man. I love that yep. dude, man. Slender, yep. in shape by 6'1. Yep. You know, we used to laugh all yep. the time. Whenever he come around that corner, yep. he had energy, man. He had energy. And boy, I said, boy. Energy. I said, boy. Energy. Can you just calm down? What are you taking, man, when you come up energy. to the station? And, um, yes, man. and then in, in, in telling and in, in introducing him into this book, I learned the side of you. I didn't know about your motorcycle skills. 
you yes. know, and uh, the ability to be able to be special. That's why I always look at people like you, man, is that, you know, God gives us all a lot of talents, you know, and that's mm-hmm. just one of the talents that you became very good at. And in doing so, Mr. Parker became enamored and wanted to share in that experience. Tell us the rest of the story. You know, my uh, Amon was my, I, I love the fact that you recall him through his staple, which was his energy. Oh, I love that kid. This dude, this brother was like, like a, a, a pack of like a, a, a super transformer pack of energy. Mm-hmm. And no matter when you saw him, he was the same way. His mom um, said that when I finally met her, she said that we were, uh, we were, we must've been separated at birth. Mm-hmm. Because our energy is always like the same. It's one of the reasons why we we were attracted to one another as brothers. Right. Because our energies matched. He was just high off life. The dude didn't have you know, uh, he didn't have those kinds of vices and and all that stuff that would make him you know uh, energetic. He was just energetic about life, and he became my best friend out here, and. Um, we did everything together with our families together, our, our, uh, our wives, um, were great together. Our, you know, I was, uh, really tight with his kids and a, a couple of months before my wife gave birth to our first child, my mm-hmm. daughter, um, Amon decided that I was always a, a avid motorcyclist. And my skill sets ran deep. You know, I would wheelie on the freeway and, and do stoppies. And, um, you know, I raced motorcycles. Like, motorcycles became a huge part of, like, my life. And, and I was doing stuff that eat while I was on television shows. And I, I would do all of these stunts on my motorcycle. And people, like, I'd take my helmet off after getting off. People would be like, that's the dude from that show? So people were, like, blown away at that. He would come over to my house, see my motorcycle, see my wife's motorcycle. He was like, man, I've always wanted to ride. I said, well, yo, if you're going to ride, you're going to have to go through a motorcycle safety course. So I made sure he went through the motorcycle safety course. He did all of that. Everything was good. I made sure his equipment was good, all that. His first day of getting on the freeway, I said, listen, I'm going to come pick you up. I was living in Tarzana at the time. He lived in Palmdale. So it was a big trek. So I had to ride out there to his house. And uh, and we got on the freeway and we started rolling. And day was going great. And I talk about this in the book. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing because it's a lengthy story. But rather than the reason why I picked him up was because I knew that it was my assignment to look after my friend. Mm-hmm. And what I talk about in the book is the pain that you go through as a man, when you abandon your post and you don't walk out your assignment in life. And I happened to leave him while we were on the freeway in order to go through these turns that I used to love to go through and I'm speeding through Mm -hmm. and after I get to the end, uh, my other partner and I uh, were sitting there. We were waiting on him, and he never, never came out of that turn. 
And then a car pulls up beside the, beside us and says, hey, you guys got a bike down back there. Mm. So we turned because we were on our way to uh, Pasadena. So we make this uh, U-turn, uh, come up on the other side, and I see my best friend laid out in the middle of the freeway. His motorcycle is up against the guardrail. Traffic is stopped. We go up to the top, turn back around, come back over. I get down to him, take off my helmet. I'm like, I'm on. I'm like, I said, you, you good? You all right? He's breathing, but he's not responding. Right. His eyes are fluttering. His chest is pumping, you know, trying to take in, you know, oxygen. And I just began, you know, talking to him going, man, hey, something just hit me. It's like, yo, you can't leave here. Mm-hmm. You got a wife and two kids. Mm-hmm. And you haven't even seen my daughter be born yet. Mm-hmm. And just kept talking to him, kept talking to him. Ambulance finally comes, transported him to the hospital. Long story short, he had so much swelling on his brain mm-hmm. that they said that if he made it, he would never be the same again. Mm-hmm. And that he would just live his life, you know, in a vegetative state. Mm-hmm. And, um, family, his wife, along with his mother, sister, they decided to give him a, a peaceful, you know, home going. Right. And um, it devastated me. It devastated me because while I know I'm not as powerful as God and mm-hmm. I don't know God's plan, mm-hmm. all I know is, is that as a man, I did not stand my post on that day. Right. I didn't stay there. Now, I don't know if the both of us, we still don't know what happened. We don't know whether our car hit him. We don't know whether he lost control so, mm-hmm. going into the turn. We have no idea what happened. They still don't know. And I never got the story back to me as to exactly what happened. All I know, he was on the freeway, you know, and right. um, probably uh, driving at a high speed. And that was it. Right. And when it came right. back to me, Dre, I was like, huh? You kidding me? Right. Because right. And, 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 and my takeaway from that book is, is about it's there's no pointing fingers. It's about life. No, it's, it's no, about not life. at all. It's about life. And 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 really, that's why I, I I talk about this because, like I said, I don't know if if I stayed with him, I don't know if both of us, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. might have met the you know the same thing. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. All I know is this: as a man. I knew that my job was to look after my, my, my brother mm-hmm. and for a moment in order for me to feed my flesh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I abandoned my post. Right. And that lesson stayed with me. First of all, his last name was Parker. Right. My, my, he was, my daughter was born two months after he passed. Her name is Parker. So every single day that I look at her, every single day that I call her name, I think about him. And I also think about how devastating it can be when a man abandons his post. And so I I never, since that day, and now my daughter come September will be 16. Wow. So that was 16 years ago. Mm-hmm. So every single day when I walk as a man, I walk with great purpose. Mm-hmm. Like just like this Father's Day, 
it's ironic we were talking about the camp and talking about my commitments mm -hmm. on Father's Day, mm -hmm. right? This Father's Day in Los Angeles, I am organizing a rally. You can go to all of my social medias and you will see my call to action to all fathers. Not black fathers, not white fathers, all, all fathers. fathers. Mm -hmm. All fathers on Father's Day, 11 a.m. in front of City Hall in Los Angeles because we recognize that while we want equality and justice for all of our families, we recognize that right now, black people are being denied those rights. And as all fathers, when one child or one person of our families is denied equality and justice, that's too many. So the call to action is all fathers coming to stand up for equality and justice for black people. I'm talking to, so uh, we are, you know, I, you know, uh, Dre, um, I'm just tell you something, brother. You're a special man, you know, and um, and and been a, I've been a part of your life, watching you on TV. You came into my life, you forced your way into my life, doing something I <laughs> love doing. You know, changing people's lives. Who, you know, brother, we didn't. Neither you or I came from. You know, the, like they say, the the golden spoon right. lifestyle. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so, right. and so, and the give in the gear part. And uh, excuse me, Brooklyn Dre. Let me go and just break it down to you, Brooklyn Dre. <laughs> 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 and uh, you know, because that's because, like you said, you know, we all have different slices of life that we live in. You know, like I said. Yeah. But uh, the 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 term I want to take from the book that really hit home for me this this statement right here: the mark of a man. This is in the book, Male versus Man. That's M-A-L-E versus Man. The mark of a man is that he can lead with his physicality, but chooses to lead with his mentality. Mentality. Woo, sir. Yes, sir. When I wrote that, I, I can't tell you. I literally, when I wrote that, it came out of the fact that most of us have been taught that manhood really is masculinity. Mm-hmm or mm -hmm. really is our sexuality, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. our masculinity will speak to the fact that, you know, um, we can bench press 200 pounds, right. 250 pounds, right? right? Mm -hmm. Our sexuality is about how many women can we, you know, Conquer. sleep mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. Exactly, right? Because we're hunters, right? Mm -hmm. Neither one of those things has anything to do with our manhood. Our manhood is directly tied to our dedication to being a servant leader, serving the women and children in our lives. I talk about in the book how every man has to be the walking tree of his house and community. Because mm -hmm. what does a tree do? A tree provides cover, right? Right. F from the harmful elements of the world, right? A tree also gives us oxygen when we give it carbon uh, uh, monoxide, right? right. Mm -hmm. So... So the, the, the poison that we, uh, that we give the tree, the tree gives us oxygen. So that's what a man is supposed to do. A man is supposed to allow us to breathe better, right? A tree also gives us fruit. What is that? That is food. Right. So a tree feeds us. A tree gives us shelter. A tree allows us to breathe better. That's the job of every man for every woman and child in his life. So when I wrote that a man, uh, 
you know, could lead with his physicality because of our physical strength, but chooses to lead with his mentality, that left me in tears. I'll never forget it. I was sitting downstairs in my house, writing that section, and that brought tears to my eyes. Why do you think I brought it up? You know I know you. You know I know you. Man. Of all the, I brought that up. I said, I got to say this on this show and let him know that this meant something to me too. This meant something Mm -hmm. to me too. This is another statement from the book that meant something to me. You believe that a man who is truly successful is one with healthy and whole relationships. Uh-huh. And yes, that I, I attribute that statement to the to the journey you take us on in this book, because of the fact you you define the difference between male versus man. You define the difference between your your relationships as you get, finally met Sally and you have a whole family and the responsibilities of of what they are. You talk about your son when he was when he had a racial slur hit to him by his best friend, Ben. The name was Ben in the book and how you, you know, it reminded me of a, a situation with my wife and my daughter. When my daughter was being intimidated at her school, you know, my wife, she went up to the school with nothing happening fast enough for brother Rashawn. OK, and so finally I had uh-huh. to go up there. You know, she thought I was going to throw stuff against the wall and, and go crazy. I did just like you. I had a conversation with the teachers yep. and educated uh-huh. them and let them know. Because, see, it's all about education and your demeanor plays out like that. I, this book is an educational book about life, about men and defining these these fallacies that we have, these physicality by being macho, by got to break through a door instead of open the door, got to be got to be a champion for the cause instead of a speaker for the moment. This is what this book is about, everybody, male versus man. This is a book, man, I think is to me, it's a defining moment in, uh, in, in educating where we at right now? When you look at these young boys out in the streets, man, walking around with no shirts, angry and mad, they gotta read this book now because they do yeah, a lot. Of, they do a lot of physical things when it should be mental. No question. And you know, it's so uh, interesting. When I, I spoke earlier, I said uh, I think I misspoke and said carbon monoxide, um, and meant to say carbon dioxide mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. what we breathe out when we breathe, and our 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 trees uh, produce oxygen for us, and right. that that's what men are supposed to do. We spoke earlier about the book of, of Lucas, right? You oh yeah, gotta that. get that in for a wrap so, up. Come on now. <laughs> right, right, so in the Bible, yes. there, there are a great many different books. Yes, right? sir. And so, I, so in talking man. about this in Male Versus Man, I said, you know what? We, we all know about the, uh, the book, The Five Love Languages. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, there actually is uh, there are five pain languages. Mm-hmm. And that's how I came up with, quote unquote, the book of Lucas. Lucas is an acronym for L, lusting, U, unforgivingness, C, cursing, mm-hmm. A, anger, S, sarcasm, right? The mm-hmm. five pain languages. Lusting is the passion of pain. Right. So all of these things are about the pain languages. Lusting is the passion of pain. Right. So when we lust after somebody, we're 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 really moving after them. There's a passion for them, but it's because of our pain. It really doesn't have anything to do with love. Right. Right. Unforgivingness is the memory of pain. If I remember something, then I'm not going to forgive you because I remember the pain that it produced. So I can't forgive you. Right. Right. C is cursing. 
That's the vocabulary of pain, right? Whenever I speak, I used to always speak when I was in Brooklyn, I, you know, uh, cursing was like the first language. Never Absolutely. Mind English. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Cursing was the first language, right? Mm-hmm. But I began to realize that me cursing at my wife is never something that I should do because that is going to cause her great pain. Yes. Me cursing at my children. I should never do that as a man. That's going to cause them great pain. Right. I began to realize that every time I curse at somebody, it only brings them pain. So that's when I realized that's the vocabulary pain. That's why I don't curse anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. A is for is anger. That's the emotion of pain. Whenever we feel pain and we get like hurt from that profound pain, anger shows up because that's the emotion that gets produced by it. Right. Right. And then finally, S is sarcasm. That's the humor of pain. Right. So when somebody says something sarcastic to you, they're being funny, but they say that sarcasm or make that sarcastic statement towards you because they are in pain, but they find a funny way of saying it or doing it. Right. right? Mm -hmm. So those are the five pain languages, lusting, unforgivingness, cursing, anger and sarcasm. And those things, when I began to examine all of those things, man, they changed so much of my behavior because not very many people, people don't realize any of that. So they can't break that down for you. Right. So when I got to that, man, I sat there and I said, oh, my gosh, bro, you just gave people a language to be able to recognize what behaviors they are walking out that cause other people pain Mm -hmm. from their own pain. It's like that saying, hurt people, hurt people. Yes, sir. When Mm -hmm. we hurt, these are the pain languages we use to hurt other people because we are hurt. Wow. I'm going to tell you something, man. Um, I know I got to wrap up here. I want to, you have a, you have a a male versus man uh, video series that features Will Smith, Kevin Hart, Trevor Jackson. Tell us about that. Every Friday at 10 uh, 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 a.m. Pacific Coast time, 1 a.m. East Coast time. It's a new series, new series of videos, male versus man. Uh, Talk to us about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I produced this digital series along with my uh, producing partners, uh, the uh, Black Love team, Oh yes, yes, um, that's my crew. That's my yeah. crew. That's my crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are my people, Cody uh, and uh, Tommy Oliver. Mm-hmm. Um, those are my those are my people. They're my producing partners on the digital series, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I came to them because I needed somebody to help me pro- produce this this these this series of talks with men about their matriculation into manhood. Right. Um, I knew that people needed to hear stories from mm-hmm. people that they consider to be accomplished um, men uh, about how they went from going from maleness to manhood. Right. And so uh, my first conversation was with my brother, Will Smith. Mm-hmm. And um, it was extremely powerful. If you watch that uh, talk, it really talks about the fact that Everything that we've been told when we're younger that is going to make you feel great about being an accomplished man in making money in doing the things that you do in your career, right. in sleeping with a bunch of women, none of them 
are going to sustain how you feel about yourself as a man. Most of those things we usually use as males to distract ourselves from the fact that we don't really know what our purpose on this earth is. Wow. So when Will talks about it, it really breaks it down. Like it's one thing for me to say it in my book, but when you hear powerful brothers like Will, like D.L. Hughley, like uh, Kevin Hart, like Trevor Jackson, like all of these brothers who have a powerful perspective about what that is and what it meant to evolve and to matriculate into manhood, it really drives the point home. So this digital series is powerful. It's on my YouTube channel, uh, which is the Male versus Man channel. Go check out all of the conversations there. Powerful, powerful, powerful stuff. Well, you know I'm going to do that. Uh, I'm talking to Andre Whitfield. Uh, I call him a friend. I call him. Uh, now he's a uh, he's a he's a he's a he's a minister, a minister of change here for us <laughs> to understand what being a man and being a male are two different things. It's a journey that we all need to take upon ourselves. The book. Uh, it's a great chapter. It's a happy wife, happy life. Love that chapter. God plus do equals successful life. You know, man, you uh, calm and chaos. I'm gonna tell you something, brother. Thank you for yes. this book, man. Thank you, man. Thank you for for showing up in Dallas and us creating a relationship. Uh, this is the second time I've interviewed you on this show. Uh, every time I talk to you, Mister Whitfield. You know, because you're preaching, you're preaching. When you're preaching, I got to call you Mr. Wheatfield. Man. Mr. Wheatfield. Uh, you're a blessing, man. You're a blessing, brother. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, you, send brother. me some banners Likewise. so I can promote uh, your YouTube channel on my on my, uh, on my brand. And uh, But I love yes, you, sir. man. I really, really, really do. I love do. you back, brother. Love you, book. I Brooklyn love you Dre. I love Brooklyn Dre. <laughs> I love it all, baby. I love it all. <laughs> Don't change, man. Don't change, okay, man? I appreciate you. I got you, brother. Thank I you. appreciate you more. Okay, cool. Thank you, brother. If you want to hear more interviews on Money Making Conversation, go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I'm your host. <laughs> yes, welcome to Money Making Conversation. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. As stated, each Money Making Conversation show is about entrepreneurship and entertainment. I provide the consumer, that's you, and business owner access to celebrity CEOs, entrepreneurs, and social influencers. I recognize that we all have different definitions of success. For some, it's a sizable paycheck. Mine is helping people wake up and inspiring them to accomplish their goals and live their very best life. These are my passions, and that's what I'm I'm going to do for you. I want you to stop tripping over small challenges and prepare to rise above the bigger obstacles that life will present to you. The Money Making Conversation interviews provide relatable information to the listener by career and financial planning, entrepreneurship, motivation, leadership, overcoming the odds, and how to live a balanced life. My next guest is a dear friend. He is a product of Harlem, New York. I've been to Harlem many, many times. Not to Harlem. I used when did Harlem, when I first went to Harlem in 88, is not the Harlem that's there now. Has studied numerology and astrology for many years. He's an expert. He's brought the subject to light by ways many of his books, lectures, and appearances on both national television and radio shows such as Oprah Winfrey. See, you can just stop with credits right there. Just say Oprah Winfrey. People just go, okay, he good. He good. <laughs> Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, my man, Lord Strayhorn. You good. When you, when, when, you, when you can put Oprah in your credits, Lord, you good. You're good. Yeah. In fact, I was on there three times with her. And ironically, each time I was with four, three of the women mm-hmm. you know, on three different occasions. But we were talking about this ancient subject of astrology mm-hmm. and the new 
when people it come to you, it's a wonderful experience. When people come mm-hmm. to you, you know, you have, are they expecting? What what do they expect from you? When you're an expert, you're the best at what you do. Okay, that's numerology and astrology. What 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 what, what do they expect from you? Well, they, first of all, they expect honesty, okay. which is you can't help it if you don't be honest. Mm-hmm. But you you explain to them that the services I employ act as a guide. It does not uh, compel it more impels. In other words, once I give you the information, right. then you have the freedom of your mind to either follow the advice or not. So you could tell a person, listen, if you stand in front of a truck, you're not going to see tomorrow. Then it's up to them that at least you have spoken in a way that conveys the honesty of it. And so that's what it does. It acts as a guide to help a person so they can be in the right place at the right time. Because if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, certainly there's got to be the other side of that equation, which I have mastered over my many years of doing this. Right. You know, I, I mentioned earlier, I remember I first moved up to New York, trying to do stand-up comedy in uh, 1988, moved up to New York, and I uh, lived at 86th and 1st, Upper East Side. And Harlem, where I went up to Harlem, it was like, it's like, you know, because you, you grow up, all you do is hear about Harlem, cross 125th Street, okay? Yes. And so... That's 88. And I remember you couldn't catch a cab to Harlem. I mean, it's like you take the subway and they had the gypsy cars. The gypsy cars would take you up and back. But cabs, yellow cabs, That's right. they would not take you. You say you're going north, they go, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Or, or, or put their they flag on dark like they were off just so they wouldn't take you up there. Now, we, we've seen this journey of you've seen it. You live in Harlem currently. What, tell us about that, that the 88 to now experience right quick. Because I, when, I, when I'm talking to a, a, a person who has saw this tremendous change, it has to be different from, a eye, from the eyes of a person who's watching it and living and, and seeing the change. Well, I have actually seen and lived the changes. First of all, I'm a product of Harlem because I was born in Harlem. Mm-hmm. Okay? But people don't realize that if you talk to the New York Tourism Board, Harlem is the most sought-after place from people all around the world to visit. And what happened is when black people moved into Harlem in the early 20s, that that began to change the whole face and reputation of this community. Uh, Since the last about, mm, say, five and a half years, it's becoming more gentrified. But you are absolutely right. If I was downtown, I'd more depend on a bus to take me home or a train to take me home mm-hmm. than trying to get a cab to come home, okay? Uh, I remember one time I talked to this uh, ambassador from Nigeria, and they told him, well, don't go to Harlem. Rashad, would you like to know the first place I took him to, sir? Harlem. Harlem. <laughs> he loved it. He mm-hmm. loved it, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody loves Harlem. Absolutely. And if you fact, if you on Sunday mornings, there are more white visitors visiting all of our black churches throughout all of Harlem. People come from all over the world just to visit this little small patch of land. Yes. But it is dynamic. It has produced the likes of, of uh, Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. It produced the likes of Marcus Garvey. Uh, Paul Robeson walked this street. Mm-hmm. James Weldon Johnson lived right around the corner mm-hmm. uh, from where I live at now. Uh, then you have the Black Swan recording label, which was the music, which was the uh, original first recording of African-American. In fact, where I get my haircut is the exact location where the UNIA, which is the Universal Negro Improvement Association, founded by Marcus Garvey, was yes, printed. Yes, absolutely. 
Absolutely. So it's rich. I mean, it's rich in so many other things. It really is. It really is. Food. Sylvia's. That's Sylvia's and many other places like that. But now... You walk up, you know, you you know, you couldn't catch a cab. Now you can get a cab. You know, I think that Uber really changed the game for. Yes, uh, it did. It changed the game. It really changed the game. Now you see at two o'clock in the morning, white people walking around with the dogs. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. This uh, is this has changed completely, and but it's still it's still predominantly black. But what happened is in the gentrification mode, they wanted to change the name of Harlem, but the Harlemites, as we call ourselves, wasn't having none of it. So Harlem will remain the name Harlem. Period. They wanted to change the name Harlem to what? Yeah, they wanted to. They wanted to change it. With, you know, when they started moving up to the Bronx and other yes. areas of Washington yes. Heights, mm-hmm. then they wanted to change the name to give it a more, I guess, whatever kind of name you want to call it. Well, yeah. But they tried for a half a second to change the name to Harlem. That did not fly at all. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So let's let's talk about your career, my friend. I just wanted to let everybody know when you have a historian on the phone, especially a Harlem historian, you want to let them speak a little bit because that's what I do on Money Making Conversations. I educate you, too. It's good, good to get a little local education from a person who was born in Harlem, lived through Harlem, not currently stays in Harlem. That's a life. That's a life. Now, yeah. numerology, astrology, how does one get involved in that? And then how does one become an expert? Well, one becomes an expert, like in all things we do by study. Okay, mm-hmm. we know that mm-hmm. you can't get around it. It's not instant osmosis, and it's not instant gratification. Just uh, add water. You in anything you do, whether I do what I do or you do what you do, we mm-hmm. put years, study, and effort, and consistency, and training. And sometimes, disciplines ask ourselves, "Are we even crazy to do this?" Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, because who would have ever thought, and because I saw some of your videos when you were uh, here in New York doing comedy. Right. Well, mm-hmm. who would have ever thought then <laughs> that the Rashawn McDonald today would be totally transformed in everything you do. Yes. Helping countless people. That is amazing. Mm, thank well, you. that's kind of what I do. I'll take a person's birthday. So let's say if you got a person that's born on the 27th of the month, like February, right? Yes, Well, sir. that means that that person, they know they're a Pisces, but until they meet me, they now know they're a Pisces 9 person because they're born on the 27th of the month and 2 plus 7 is 9. That's Mm. what got me hooked. Mm. Like the numbers only go from 1 to 9. I got 10 fingers. I got this. (laughs) Never in my wildest dream that I would wind up writing books, have national TV radio shows, Mm -hmm. uh, doing it all online course now this, this, that I have available on my website, lloyd-straighthorn.com. Tell us about that. It, Tell us about that, that online course. Well, the online course is a 10-part course designed to get a person or teach a person how to do what I do in its simplest forms. It is for beginners, but even intermediate and professionals can always use a review. Right. And the 10-part is to go at your own pace uh, rate. You know, you take your time, you can do it in a day, you can do it in a week, you can do it in a month, but it takes you a year, then that means I have to revise it. But over and above that, it's a go at your own pace. And it tells you a couple of things. One, how to analyze a person's name. For example, if I walk up to a person, I could more probably get their first name than walk up and say, excuse me, what's your birthday? Mm. If I walk up and say, hi, what's your name? You might say Rashawn. Absolutely. And then followed by, in your mind, who are you and why you want to know. <laughs> right. But if I say your birthday, it's like, excuse me, you know? 
not unless you're in a, a, a motor vehicle, social security office, doctor's office, something like that. Right. So, and then I'm gonna mumble that out to you so nobody would hear it. Uh, you know. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is the name denotes one natural talent, gifts, skills, and abilities. That's the first part of the ten part course I do. The first five parts is about doing your name. You know, Shakespeare says, "What's in a name?" The response is everything. That's okay. Um, and so the name unlocks and tells their natural talents, gifts, skills, abilities, and even the kinds of parents that they were born to by way of either their zodiac signs or date of births, okay? I mean, this thing is just fascinating. I couldn't believe this, and I thought that everybody should do this because everybody, I've learned, don't have an interest in this, but I guess that's what makes the world go round. Right. But it guides you from, from, and it points you north in terms of what you do, so if I tell this person who's born on February 27th, I would explain that they're by a water element with a fire sign, which means they're sensitive and passionate at the same time. And that nine people normally don't take stuff from nobody. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nine is a leader number. They like to be the masters of their faith and the captains of their ship, LaShawn. Absolutely. They just, yeah, you can't dictate terms. You can try, yes. but I don't think you will be successful. <laughs> now, you know, you, you talk about favorable days in this whole process. What does that mean? That means this. Timing is everything, especially in the cosmos. Yes, sir. There is a time and a season for everything once goes the same. Mm-hmm. And so by a person's birthday, so let's stick to this example of, of February 27th. I know that person is a nine. Because there are Pisces that is ruled by Jupiter, which rules the number three, and then the other number two, it is a six. So this person born on February 27th would be the nine, the three, and the six. Well, right. mm-hmm. nine rules Tuesday, three rules Thursday, and six rules Friday. So I would tell that person that their best times to do anything of significant, of consequence, you know, hanging out, bowling, you know, having uh, something to eat at a restaurant, that's one thing. But when you've got to make those life-changing decisions, those decisions of major consequences that are, that's going to affect your future, as your outcome, as well as your budget, then timing becomes everything. And what my objective is to get my clients to be in the right place at the right time in perfect harmony with the universe. And by setting up their names or their, their, their days, they know how to plan their affairs. And I get, I mean, the testimonies I get is just like ridiculous, man. I mean, it's just, it's like a very, very nice confirmation of my dedication to my craft. Probably what you just are. like you. What you are. You are the best at it. Before we go to the, in this break, can you tell everybody how to reach out to you and contact you, whether social or your website and things like that? Yes. Yes. Uh, they can start by going to my website, lloyd-drayhorn.com. That's L-L-O-Y-D dash Strayhorn, S-T-R-A-Y-H-O-R-N. Not only can they read about their zodiac signs, they can sign up for the free month, monthly mm-hmm. newsletter and join my numerology group too. But awesome. that's where they sign up. In fact, my online course is now on sale until July 1st. So mm-hmm. if they can take advantage and get on it, it's fine. Awesome. Um, July, it ends July 1st, right? Huh? It ends July 1st. That deadline is July 1st. Well, it's on sale, but it's always periodically. Okay, cool. Periodically. Mm -hmm. Periodically. So Mm -hmm. if they miss it, all they got to do is wait another week or two and they'll catch it. Good. Okay. Uh, Then they can also reach out to me by Facebook, Numbers and You, Instagram, Numbers and You, Twitter, 
numbers in you, and then a LinkedIn numbers in you. You see how consistent because numbers in you, you is go. my Bible. That's my very first book, mm-hmm. and that book is still selling to this day. It's a four hundred page book I wrote on this subject, and when I published it, then I said this book is going to sell a lifetime, <laughs> and it's still selling. Wow, so we'll I be did. right back with my man Law Strayhorn. You know, um, really, we need to. It's it's. It's a question I still have to ask him. I'm a fan of what he does. I tried to do it in high school, did it for my, and uh, one goal, first place. I would place. love to teach you, Richard. Uh, I, I, I got to. I got, I got, I got, Spanish and this, I got to get back to. <laughs> older, astrology or numerology? Which is older? Well, you know, that question has been posed to me, and I say numerology. Of course, people are going to say, well, of course you're going to say numerology, Lloyd, because you're a numerologist. Mm-hmm. But let me explain the logic. Mm-hmm. For those that have had a astrology chart done, there is a process. That process is you must give them your birthday. Okay? How is that birthday given? By numbers. The number of the month you were born, the number of the day you were born, and the number of the year you were born. Then you need to give the astrologer the exact time you were born and where you were born so they could look up the longitude and the latitude. All of that is in numbers. Right. So you got to get past, you got to get to numbers first mm-hmm. to get to that. So numbers is actually older. Cool. It's the least so, popular so, though, which is irony, which is the irony. So I'm assuming that um, you have um, uh, clients, regular clients to communicate with you on a regular basis. How yes. does a new client, how's that process when you, when you bring in a new client on board and do they ask for anything in particular, like financial advice or life advice or relationship advice or just uh, how to handle their children? No, you no, you are on point. Primarily it's about relationships, Yes, mm-hmm. about careers and finance, mm-hmm. about health and travel. As a rule, normally these are the things. Then you have some people who are nervous that are maybe apprehensive, who've never had a reading. Then you have those who who are God-fearing and feel that what this does goes against the laws of God, which it does not, because religion is a belief. What I do in numerology and astrology is a science. There's a big, big difference. If people can keep that in mind, they won't get all kind of uh, been out of shape, but they do. this is what I do. They do. Hmm? They do. They will get out. Been out of shape. Oh yeah, no, they get it. Oh, trust me, I've been on. I've been on the receiving end of it. But mm. then when I ask them the question, and in the Old Testament, the fourth book of Moses is called the Book of Numbers. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't write that to make myself look good, <laughs> Rashawn. Yeah, okay? yeah. Uh-huh. Where God instructs Moses on the first day, the second day of the second month, to name the armies by their name and their code. There is, in fact, when I refer to the Bible as a numerology book, people really get upset in the religious community. But it's it's not, think of it. If I give you a passage, it's going to have a, a chapter and a verse. And you go to Psalm 23, verse 2. Okay? That's mm-hmm. how you find what you want to get mm-hmm. your message for the day. Mm-hmm. Or whatever the case is. So, the, so Numbers Acts is a guide in all we do. Mine just use a more metaphysical approach, which is spiritually inclined to. Now, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing that we're talking about because it's really about information. And then you you can take the, how you use that information is your calling or your your desire. Yes, you, that's right. You're a provider of information based on the information that they give you. There's no smoke and mirrors here. You're not trying to, like you said, if you don't stand in front of that bus, you go stand in front of that bus and it hits you. I told you not to stand in front of that bus. Now, you, yeah, yeah, you can listen to me and believe me or not. And the whole process of this is that 
when when you talk about relationship, when when a person comes to you in regards to a relationship, what what do you what what what's the what do you provide to them to to be able to channel that 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 goal that they're trying to achieve or information they're trying to get out of you in regards to that relationship? Well, when I do, for example, when I when couples approach me about getting married, right, right. Now, which is a great question. Mm-hmm. First of all, I try to see if they have a number in common. Yes. So let's say, let's go back to that first example where the person's born February the 27th, and then I might have another, then the couple might, let's say, be March the 6th. Well, first of all, the person that is March the 6th, their numbers are the 6, 3, and 9, where the person born on February the 27th, their numbers are the 9, 3, and 6. Once I find numbers that are in common, those are the numbers I'll share. So I'll say, well, these are your best days that you share, the best dates that you share, and the best months. Now, let's say there's a couple where the numbers don't match at all. I'm going to always, always set the wedding date around the woman. You give her a house, she give us back a home. You give her food, you know, she give us a meal. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so there's always, you know, the woman is always the foundation to the family, to the home, and everything. I And I found that out when my mother passed before my father. I mm-hmm. used to think because he was the man in big Aries and, you know, barking orders, that my mother would just say, okay, honey, okay. Right. That's how I figured out how she got around it, right? But when she passed, that's when I found out who really ran that. <laughs> right, 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 right. Okay? Yeah. So I always sit around the woman. But if I can find numbers that are in common, between both of them, that's what I aim for. Which is Either which is great. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm one of them. I'm one of them sneaky believers. You know what I'm saying when it comes to astrology. And I'm gonna just tell you how. You know, because I, because you know, I've been going. I go through the news. But I read my newspaper every day, and then I get mm-hmm. over to that little. Every newspaper has an astrology section, a daily astrology section. You know, going there yep. has a couple of maybe two or three sentences of motivation or information that they're 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 telling you about. Then I mm-hmm. I, I go over there and go, oh, okay, all right. Okay, cool. Now, 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 now go ahead. talk to me about that. The, talk to me about the sneaky. I'm the sneaky guy, okay? Believe, but don't want to tell everybody I believe. And then you have the people who really believe. Those are two different people, correct? Yes, that's true. Yes, okay. you got you got those the undercover believers, okay? <laughs> then you got the... Rashawn McDonald, Rashawn McDonald, undercover, <laughs> undercover, <laughs> undercover, Lord. I'm a, oh, yeah. I'm a, in fact, I'm out of the cover now. I'm, a, I'm, I'm laying on the bed. There was a, <laughs> that, you know, when you talk about that, there was a time in Harlem when people into astrology actually had to walk around in their astrology books and brown paper wraps. You know, when they have paper to, to wrap your book bags and mm-hmm. wrap books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you couldn't walk around with an obvious astrology book. You put it in a a wrap, a book wrap, so people wouldn't know until they asked the subject, you know. Mm. But uh, this is, but this is a very long and very tried and true uh, art that's tens of thousands of years old, and it guides people in a way that is absolutely, absolutely amazing, Rashawn. So hard to say, it's absolutely amazing. Mm. Because uh, because now 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 you you tell me I'm I'm the undercover guy that do won't admit. Then you have the people who are, are dedicated and believe. Like you said, people having to walk around with brown bags at one time, not publicly saying yeah. that because because people can be perceived as like you know. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that's worth following? How do you overcome the skepticism? Well, 
Well, I, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing this for 30 plus years with yes, you all have. kinds of uh, praises and calculations and confirmations of what I do. And because it is a science, but notice this, they always say, do you really believe in it? It's not a belief system. Religion is a belief. That's why man has always killed each other. Um, but for those, this is why, with the exception of the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, every paper practically carries a horoscope. For the people that want to stay under the radar to learn out what's up about them. For those that are not afraid, for those that are more open and receptive, which is now it's really open, now people then go to professionals like myself or other people um, that that uh, that can do this on a more professional basis and mm-hmm. give you guidance. When you read something in a paper, that's like a broad brush stroke. Right. Okay. But then you might have a, a thousand Pisces, but they're not all born on the same year the same time, the same location, and uh, they're not all born on the same day. Mm. So by going to a professional, you get more of a something just for you. That's a Rashawn McDonald moment. That that's yes. just for you. Yes, I'm not looking at a generic newspaper with generic thoughts. Exactly. I, have a, I have my reading done for me, specifically. And then I have you pl- recorded. Mm. I have you recorded too, so you can review it. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it makes a big difference. And the response I get, uh, some woman told me, I said she would get married. She said she got married. I said, I did? She said, yeah, you take it. Mm-hmm. And I okay, fine. But it's but these are the kinds of things. All the, I mean, from reading people like Denzel Washington. Yes. For example, Denzel, when I met him, he, he called me behind stage after he did a play here in New York. And he explained that he was born on the 28th. His wife was born on the 28th. They married on the 28th. Their son that played in the recent movie uh, about infiltrating the Ku Klux Klan. Yes, Black Klansman. Yeah. So so what I'm saying, and it's interesting, when Denzel Washington received his first Oscar, the presenter was, um, oh boy, she played in Pretty Woman. I forgot her name. Julia Roberts. Mm Mm-hmm. Julie Roberts, right. Mm-hmm. Well, Julie Roberts, who presented the award, was born on the 20th herself, right. which I thought was interesting. So numbers follow people, but we're not conscious of it. And and once you become conscious of it, you look at things different, and you then you try to be really in a time that's appropriate to you to get the right results you want, and it saves you a lot of wear and tear, frustration, and it gets you quicker to your goal by knowing just your best days alone in your best states. And for a person born on February the 27th, which is the example, yes. most people have two or three months. Well, this particular individual had six months, March, April, and May, October, November, and December. So if you ask them, what was the month their mom was born on? It may come under one of those months. It wouldn't surprise me. The day, the month they got married, mm-hmm. the wife that they married, or the husband that they married, and the year that they married. I mean, this is this is great stuff. I love this stuff. I really do. Well, the, the passion is, is it's important when you go to an expert that it's not just a job, but it's passion and emotion and the success stories. And the thing about it, when I bring you on the show and your, your track record speaks for itself, major names, I can like to believe I'm a major name that uh, will, will, uh, will vouch for your credibility, will say, hey, this is something that, uh, that, that can help you stabilize your life emotionally. And one of the things in the areas that you do help people are, is in the area of health. Talk about that. We talked about career and I get everybody gets the financial side. That's pretty, pretty much understood that. But that's why we talk about the relationships. But I also want to talk about the health side of the importance of what you do. Talk about that. 
Well, it's interesting because in my book, I have a section on numerology and health. Mm-hmm. Each number rules a part of the body, and I'll just be brief. If a person is a number one or a Leo, that means that rules the eyes, high blood pressure, heart palpitations, the lower back. Let's say a person is born under the number two or the sign of cancer, it rules the stomach and digestive tract. Uh, diabetes, hemorrhoids, tumors, ulcers, things of that nature. Number three, people, it rules anemia or low blood pressure, sensitivities with the skin, panic attacks and anxiety attacks. Right. Some concerns with the hip, thighs, and feet. Each number four, it rules the mindset. So four's always got to be careful what they're around, what they watch on TV, because they go through their, what they call moods and whatnot. Five people, theirs is the hands, the arms, and the shoulders. With six is sinuses, allergies, heart palpitations, irregular blood circulates. With seven is simply worry and anxiety more than anything else along with night sweats. Number eight, headaches, knees, teeth, bones. To the men, more the right side. The women, more the left side. And finally, to the nine, like a person born on the 27th, they tend to be more accident prone than illness prone because they are fire. And disease don't like fire, but accidents do. Nicks, cuts, burns, bruises, breaks, fender benders, things like that. Yes. So as we close, tell us again how we can reach out to you, how we can get in touch with you so we can. Um, okay. I can, uh, he's the best, y'all. I mean, he's the best, the best at what he does. I'm going to call him the world greatest, the world's greatest. That's what I'm talking about right now. Thank you very much, your son. You know how to make a man feel good. Thank you. Brother. Absolutely. Got to. Well, you know, it's easy when you're telling the truth. It's easy when you're telling the truth. Yes, it is. Thank you. And not only that, but we have for years been taught to knock each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, even when I did a show, some guy says, well, every time you talk to somebody, it's positive. Yeah, well, tell me something else I don't know. We are good at knocking each other. Mm-hmm. But maybe you know that you have a gift with this and a gift with that to change the whole mindset. But people can get in touch with me by going to my website, lloyd-strayhorn.com. They, I also have a toll-free number, which is 1-800-581-4401. I'll repeat it again, one 800 Five eight one four four zero one, and then catch me on all the media sites: Instagram, numbers in you; Twitter, numbers in you; Facebook, numbers in you; and LinkedIn, numbers and you. Please give us some after that number so I can put it in this week's newsletter, Lord. I want to thank you for coming on my show. You know, I appreciate you. Appreciate the thank advice, you. the relationship. You. We, you know, your community guy. I appreciate you being a part of that. Philadelphia reopening summit because your your knowledge is necessary for people in these pandemic times and the Black Lives Matter times because we all matter, my friend. And we thank just, you for the thank first you. time. Let me tell you this: mm-hmm. we you you are stuck with me for life for a time. Okay, trust <laughs> me, we we're gonna be the best buddies. I can I can feel it. Okay? And I'm not, I'm, I'm not running from it. You know, I'm not running from it. That's why I love you. That's why I love you. Thank you for coming on my show, for, sir. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. Right. I'm so honored, Sean. All right. Yes, sir. If you want to hear more interviews, uh, Money Making Conversation interviews, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I'm your host. Absolutely. I'm your host, Rashawn McDonald. Welcome to Money Making Conversation. Each Money Making Conversation talk show is about entrepreneurship and entertainment. I provide the consumer and business owner access to celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs and industry decision makers. I recognize that we all have different definitions of success. For some, it's a sizable paycheck. Mine is helping people wake up and inspiring them to accomplish their goals and live their very best life. These are my passions. And when I'm talking to people of 
People are hearing these interviews that I do with so many fantastic people that come on the show. I just want the people to stop tripping over small challenges and prepare to rise above the bigger obstacles that life will present to them. That's the purpose of Money Making Conversation, to give interviews that are relatable to listeners about career and financial planning, entrepreneurship, motivation, leadership, overcoming the odds, and how to live a balanced life. My next guest has transitioned from working with billion-dollar entertainment clients such as Sony Pictures, Walt Disney, Universal, and more to co-founding and operating the Fearless Fund. Their mission is to bridge the gap in venture capital funding for women of color. She is an entrepreneur, philanthropist, investor, best-selling author, international speaker, and PR and marketing specialist. She is on the show today to discuss her new book which I read and I'm excited to share with my audience today. It's called The Fearless Money Mindset. Broke doesn't scare me. Seven principles for financial success. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, Arian Simone. Thank you, Richard. <laughs> hey, a lot to talk about. I finally got to start talking to you, girl. You got a lot going on. <laughs> oh, thank you. I actually have a story to tell you. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. We met years ago. Okay. Oh, my God. We met years ago when you were 5,900 Wilshire. You know some, you know some uh, apple bottom? Wait, no, it wasn't that. Mm-hmm. 5,900 Wilshire. Absolutely. When Steve had his show on the 19th floor. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I used to, when I was living out the office space, I was living in the office space on the 26th floor. Oh, the 26th you, floor. I, yeah, you guys were on the 19th. Absolutely, absolutely. Morning, this is when I was homeless. And mm-hmm. I was from living in my park and living in the office space. And every morning I would sneak in to the radio station and after a while you just said let her come in <laughs> yes 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 yeah you know you know I, I, when, I, when i was hearing your name i kept is she apple bottom because i kept i know i know her. i know i've run into her i know i know i know her. Oh, yeah. yes i used to come in every morning to network who was in there because my pr and marketing company that i was building from ground up i was on the 26th floor i was living at the office at first well, and I said, oh, Rashawn is not going to believe this. So when I got the information about the interview, I said, oh, he doesn't realize we go back to 2004. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Because we left in 2005. Because, you know, when I was when I was going through your bio and I said, it's no way to myself. I said, it's no way. I, I have to have met her. I have to have met her. Yes. And I looked at the looked at your picture and I went, she looks so familiar, so familiar. So for you to share that story with me, uh, really, really makes me feel good because you're such a talented person. And and then reading your oh. book and looking at the bio, your history, you know, it's about hard work but and overcoming the odds, but more importantly, not giving up. And I'm 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 highly recommending people to buy your book. I'm gonna put it in my newsletter. But let's let's, you know, let's let's just talk about a uh, little bit about the beginning you know you're from Detroit then you went down to Tallahassee to FAMU HBCU got your MBA why Detroit to FAMU in Detroit Detroit FAMU that's that's very cold to very hot mosquitoes no mosquitoes <laughs> yes at the time I attended FAMU starting 99 but in 1997 according to Times and Princeton Review they got rated the college of the year and FAMU was in a moment where it was just so hot. And then yes, the business school got number one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had offers from like Harvard to U of M to, I mean, 
for you name it, from Ivy Leagues to big state schools. And when I saw those things coming from FAMU, I said, I'm going there. <laughs> the Rattlers. And all I had, <laughs> yeah, all I had to do was attend for a few days. <laughs> and I said, oh, after this visit, I looked, my decision is made. One of the best decisions I've ever made. Well, why, why is that with HBCUs? I, I really try to talk about the, the, you know, the historical factor. I always tell people if we didn't have HBCUs, it really wouldn't be black education because they wouldn't let us go to school in the South. I'm talking about they mean racist behavior and they were limiting uh, through quotas to us to enter schools in the North. I'm talking about white schools. So that, that's why HBCUs were created and needed. So. Going into that, you had all these offers from basically white colleges and then this beautiful black campus in Tallahassee, Florida. You just you just felt a kinship. You walking around seeing people look like you. What was it? Oh, it's very empowering. I Growing up in Detroit, it was over 80 percent black growing right. up there. Mm-hmm. So from there to FAMU, it was it was the love. It was the accountability to this day. My professors are on social media and still root for me. Mm. To this day, I can see them chiming on the comments on Facebook (laughs) and that type of rich relationship. You're just not going to get as a black student going to a PWI. I highly doubt that your professors still even remember you, let alone that they are invested in your future beyond those four years that you were there. You know, they still look out for me. They still share resources with me. I was on a call the other day with the school. (laughs) So it's truly family. Right. It's truly family in addition to just attending an institution, which is a priceless experience. You are not, as a black person, going to have the kind of environment with that kind of accountability and love that's going to be poured into you. They want you to win because you look like them. You are their child, you know. So it's I encourage HBCUs for African Americans all day long. It has been beneficial to my career and the trajectory of my career and then all of the resources that I've received. The FAMU network is real. It is much more. You know, it's really important that uh, people understand going somewhere where you're comfortable, going somewhere where you create relationships that are long term, because that's one of the chapters in your book, The Relationship Principle. We're going to get to that. It's chapter six, I believe, you know, because, you, you know, you know, and just sitting here. Uh, it allowed me time hearing you speak allowed me to remember our relationship back in 2004 because I was going I knew I remember and I'm gonna tell you something you know the one and I and I'm not remembering everything I'm kind of I'm remembering everything a little bit here I remember the thing that stood out for me was that your energy and your smile and your professionalism you know I don't so I, I didn't know you was homeless on the 26th floor I didn't know that. Okay, so I wasn't doing I wasn't doing any favors because I thought I was I was feeling sorry for you because I didn't know your situation. All I know is that your game was tight, and so yeah. and and I and I learned that about myself. And I've one of the things about money making conversations. I've discovered so many relationships that I I had with people I didn't know just because I just felt that hey everybody deserves a shot. That, that's my personality. Everybody deserves a shot, especially people who are working hard and a cons- and showing a consistent personality. Because that was one thing with me. You had to be consistent, Rashawn. If I tell you no and you walk away, then you were, you should not be in my presence. But I couldn't tell you no. 
I could not tell yeah. you no. It was like no. It was like you. You were like you know like like that matrix. You dodged that no. You dodged that no. Let her on in. Let her on in. I like she, she she cool. She cool. She cool. And that's really a, a strong driving force to why you are successful today. Not that you're arrogant. You just understand you're confident. You 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 believe in the values that God has put on this earth that you shouldn't be afraid. And I guess that that was me telling you when we met because I was a big personality on 2004 and I. I was a pretty big personality. And so Steve just called me Black Cloud. So I would tell people no, and I would tell people to get out of my face really, really quick. But you, my friend, that was not happening. Happen. Talk about that ability to not be afraid before we get into the book. Oh, my gosh. Um, well, part of it, I would say, is in the book. It's in even the intro. I definitely... Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I believe in tapping into that. I believe that when you move without limits, that doors open up on your behalf. So I, I don't approach things from this, that space. I definitely approach things from a very fearless space. Um, and that, then our confidence just goes forth. And I say doors just open. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't believe you should operate from that space. You need to operate from a level of sureness. You need to operate, operate from a level of confidence. If you plan on pursuing anything in life. Right. And I always talk children have those features. So it's just up for us. You came into the world like that. It's up for us to make sure we tap back into that because it was nothing but the world started projecting its way onto you and people started saying different things to you. Mm-hmm. But who you are at your core, you are confident. Absolutely. And who you are at your core, you do believe in yourself. Absolutely. So once you get all of the forest from the trees and peel all that back, you need to walk <laughs> in that. That's a beautiful statement. Uh, you know, your, your book has seven chapters, the belief principle, the thought principle, the speech principle, the principle of sowing, sowing, and uh, the action principle, the uh, relationship principle, the principle of stewardship. I, I was a quote in the book that I pulled out that really uh, stood out to me. It said, if I believe something was going to happen for me, this is you talking, I refuse to entertain any thoughts that would counter what I believe. Mm-hmm. That was you meeting me. That was that's when we met. You know, mm-hmm. before the book, you were on the twenty sixth floor. I didn't know that homeless, but you had a vision. But that didn't stop you. That, in other words, see, a lot of people allow other things to stop them. Excuse, I call them excuses because we don't all wake up the same every day. We don't wake up with good days. Sometimes I wake up, I don't even want to get out of bed, but I still get out of bed. That doesn't mean I'm going to have uh-huh. an unsuccessful day. And that's what that uh-huh. quote that you were saying right there. If I believe, if I'm on a mission to be successful, why should I suddenly stop myself from being successful? That's a that's an amazing thought. Where did that come from? Parents? Where? Where? Family? Where did that, where did that thought process develop? 15, 16, 18, when? I, okay, this, I honestly can't probably pinpoint a time. I am a <laughs> woman of, I can't though. I am a woman of strong faith, but I don't know when I started. I, I don't know that. I I think my parents probably allowed me to be mm-hmm. bold and adventurous. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I do. In this book, I tell the story about like how my mother took me onto the parking lot to get my first car. And she was in the used car section, and I told her, that's not what I wanted. Right. And she said, what did you want? <laughs> and I pointed over to the car that was on the showroom floor, and it was spinning. 
That's awesome because, you know, because of the fact that that's what I'm saying is that we have a lot of similar characteristics. I remember the first car I got was a used car. You know, first car in high school was a beat up Pinto, Ford Pinto. And I told Uh myself, I said, I said, I'd never drive a car with more than 15 miles on it again. I said that to myself. I I just knew, and that was just my. And I always tell people you, certain ways you set goals in life, you know. So I didn't. I wasn't telling anybody I was going to buy a new car, but you know, if you have a car with fifteen miles or less on it, that's a new car. And so that's a standard that you set for yourself. You said, "I don't want that. Why can't I get that? And how can I get that? And that's goal setting, but without, but with natural instincts tied to it by having a standard you set, but not going to a school and somebody telling you, "Here's your vision board." So you you are walking, talking vision vision board, Miss Simone. That's what you are. Anybody ever tell you that? Anybody ever tell you that? No, I think you're probably the first. I'm going to tell you something. Well, you read this book. You read this book. You walk and talk and vision board. Because I'm going to tell you something. I kept we're looking at I kept reading this book. Oh, we go, we're going to go to break because I want to talk about something. Because you you hit. I'm talking about if you if I if I found a young lady who was a younger version, but a female version of Rashawn McDonald, I'm talking to her right now. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. Our belief influence, you said our belief influence our behavior. We are born bold. I always talk about, I always tell people that that's why I can't understand people who treat kids terrible, you know, abuse kids because kids just, just, they just want information. They just want to, whatever you give them, you tell them to go left, they go left. You tell them to go right, they go right. So they just, they just an energy just waiting to just, just absorb stuff. And that statement right there, we are born bold. But what what pushes off the what pushes us off the railroad track though, Miss Simone? What what? Tell me. People and thought. People and thought. You've allowed somebody to project their way of thinking onto you, mm-hmm. which is now your thought. I totally agree. I always tell people is that it's people around you, people who love you or say they love you, stop can stop your dream. It can be your boyfriend, your husband. Your partner, your kids, your minister, your daddy, your mom. All these people can stop you with bad thoughts. And I always tell you, and she talks about this in the book. Don't talk to nobody. Don't know about that. They can't understand the capabilities of your dream. In other words, if you're trying to be a doctor, don't talk to a mechanic. He don't know nothing about that. You're trying to be a lawyer. Don't talk to somebody over there. They don't know nothing about lawyer. You can't do that. And so that's why I love this book because of the fact that she breaks it down in a natural world. When I say a natural world means that we all go through life wondering if we can be great. And your book tells us we can be great, but also points out what's stopping us from being great. Now, how long did it take you to write this book? Because girl, this book is on fire. Oh, thank you. It just came out the presses because you're talking about COVID-19 in here. That's how that's how current this book is. (laughs) 
I couldn't believe I was talking. I'm reading her book, and she's talking about COVID-19. Yes, it's been updated. Um, I would say about eight months for that one. And honestly, that's because I was in more of the final edit. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. I didn't even know that my book would be releasing during a period where people would be having a global economic impact on their finances. Come on now. I had no clue. So of course, yeah, we went back and updated some things. But yeah, I didn't I didn't plan on that at all. I'm here reading this book. She I'm it's in month of June. She she I'm reading a book about COVID nineteen. That's how that's how relevant this young lady is. That's how that's how on point she is with our conversations. About getting this act together. We're not talking about a book that got released last year. We're talking about on the money right now. Now, yeah. Now, as a speaker, what motivates you? What is the goals when you go on stage or people ask you to speak? What's the purpose of you speaking to people? What are, what what are you trying to emote or trying to uh, get them to understand when you're speaking? Understood. First of all, I'm definitely of service if I take the stage. And mm-hmm. two, mm-hmm. and what I mean by that is people are only going to remember the speech that applies to them. They could care less about what you're saying about your life if it's not applicable to what they're going through or what they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And two, my message is always a, a, a fearless message, helping right. you remove those fears from your mind. Because the way the mind is designed, it can shift towards the negative bias kind of quickly when you don't put in the work. Right. Because we human beings, we were created to be mindful for survival reasons if danger was coming. But right. we're not in any fields right now. We're not running from lions. We're not mm-hmm. <laughs> around any animals or anything of that type of danger. So we just have to be very conscious that we're always operating from a place of a positive bias. So with that being said, you don't have to put in the work. <laughs> so with these negative things that people have put on you, you're going to have to peel those things off. Right. So that's my goal when I step onto a stage. Okay. And uh, believe me, you're fearless. Now, you, Rashawn made a statement. That's Rashawn. That's, I'm talking about myself, third person. Okay. I made a statement that if I had to see somebody that was a younger version of me, but it was a female, I'm talking to her right now. Arian Simone. Okay. Why you say that, Rashawn? Well, in her book, she talks about this uh, this uh, conference that she was throwing, and they hit her with a budget that was like almost a, a half million dollars. Okay, when the guy came in, this is what it's going to cost, and she had never done this before. That reminded me when I threw my threw my first neighborhood awards, it was Hoodie Awards in L.A. I had never done that before, Adrian, and I had a budget. And I pulled it off. That's one story right there. Then she gets into the book and she talks about her favorite store to shop in is Z Gallery. You want to know, Miss Simone, one of my favorite stores to shop in is Z Gallery. Then, Then she goes, then she goes right here. Where did she go to church in Los Angeles at? West Angeles Church of God in Christ. Where do you think Rashawn went in Los Angeles? <laughs> Bishop Blake. Okay. Uh-huh. Then Rashawn McDonald doesn't accept no for an answer. Because I would walk in her book, she talks about walking and being 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 confident. I would walk in places, of course, you know, I always had a tailored suit on, so that helped a little bit. I would walk in venues, wouldn't pay. I just look at people. 
and just walk on by like I supposed to be. I'm supposed to be in the venue. She talks about this in the book, presenting yourself as a success, presenting yourself like you belong, presenting yourself so people can treat you like a king or a queen that you are. Uh-huh. That is a that is me, Miss Simone. And we have met since 2004. So, yeah. so when I see it, when I read about the fearless fun now, yeah. I go, okay, it's everything's natural for me now. Yeah. Everything makes sense to me why I'm interviewing you on this show today, because you have a quality within you that truly is fearless. I, I've never used the word fearless. I always tell people that, you know, I wake up, I wake up to get up. I go to sleep to get up. That's my goal. I wake up because when I wake up, I have a plan. Every time I wake up, I don't go to sleep. It says, I always tell people the reason a lot of people find it difficult to get out of bed, they have no reason to get up. They never set a goal to get up. They haven't said, I'm going to do this when I'm going to get up. They just, oh, what am I going to do? I know what I'm going to do when I get up. I may not want to get up, but I know I have some stuff to do. That's why I get on up out that bed. And that's your personality. Upside down, round, flip, over top, everything. 360, that's you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And you have this beautiful book, you know, and, you know, you know, when you, when you go through the chapters, you know, the, the, the belief principle of mind is a terrible thing to waste. The thought principle, when you, you know, you believe in something, it will happen, which, which is uh, that's how I think. And everybody should think the speech principle. If you say it, it's expected to happen. Focus on it happening. All these different things that you talk about, you know, the, the the action principle, you know, it's just really, really a special book. And, you know, when you when you did you sit down and discuss with individuals different chapters or you just 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 put it all out there and sit down with an editor and say, this is my vision and I want to get it out. Tell us the thoughts behind getting this book out to the press. Oh my gosh! Like I said, when I initially said, <laughs> "Why, why I was, you say, oh my God, did I stun you there?" <laughs> no, because it looks different. It looks it took on a whole new meaning right. during thing happening in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. So when I first set out to do this, the book was going to be releasing at the Essence Festival and right. the bookstore. Like everything just was was different. Right. Mm-hmm. So my thought process of I knew it was needed because the bu- the book is built upon one premise that people have more fear in going broke than they do faith in having abundance. Right. And the reality is that both of those things are unseen. Fear mm-hmm. is unseen and faith is unseen. You choose to adopt which one you want to follow. So I knew I wanted the book out for that one reason just in itself. Right. I had no idea that the world would turn into all of what everything happened in the course of 2020. Mm-hmm. So it took on a whole nother meaning as far as just like you're saying, getting it out into the world, getting out to the presses, making sure um, it lives in this space. It's more timely now than I had ever even imagined when I set out to do this. Oh, most definitely. And I forgot there's one other thing that made me and you very similar. A, a quote that your mom told you. Mom said, value of giving from a pure place. She said that to you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a good friend of mine. Uh, she, uh, Wendy Raquel Robinson, and um, she, um, very famous actress, and she has this uh, dance studio, actor studio in Los Angeles. And 
I would always, I don't care how hard I was, because everybody, you know, in, in entertainment, you have peaks and valleys, you know. If I had a valley, I still sent my checks to her. I had to send my checks to her. I had to, because I made a commitment. That's that pure space when there's no agenda. When you, when you're doing something and you don't realize you're changing people's lives, but somehow it's been put upon you. And that's the pure space your mom was talking about, the pure place in your heart. Just like giving it, but not expecting nothing, anything back. That's a balance that your mom instilled in you. And I, like I said, reading your book, I don't, I, I hope I'm, I hope our mom. Really communicating the value of listening to a younger version of my reason I'm excited because through my whole life, my only goal is to make sure people I meet people and and I'm not saying I impacted you. You was impacted by a lot more people than me. But to know I, I, I met you and to see the person you're becoming and the lives that you are affecting on a daily basis. Thank you, Mr. Moon. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And yes, you did have a great impact on me because you believed in the 23-year-old girl who was trying to sneak into the radio station. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you. You know, you know, the the, the thing about this book and uh, the fearless fun, let's talk about that a little bit because we got a few (laughs) minutes, we got three minutes left. I want to, you know, this is a great book. I, I definitely want a banner so I can put it in my newsletter, put it on my personal social media. I got like... About 800,000 Facebook followers, so I definitely want to tell them about you and about another 200,000 on my money-making conversation platform. But tell us about the Fearless Fund and um, why was it created? First, thank you for just the additional support and exposure. I am just extremely grateful. Um, Well, I'm talking to a PR and marketing specialist now, so you know. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) You're the queen. And, 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 and And guess what I am? A marketing specialist. That's all I'm telling you. That's all I'm telling you. That's all I'm telling you. I'm telling you, Miss Moore. Telling you, girl. We on fire. Keep talking. Keep talking. Keep talking. Yeah, it's a full moment. But yes, the fearless fund was set out to solve the problem, and that was increase the the venture funds that Black women were receiving. Um, currently, right now, Black women receive point zero 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 six percent of venture funds, hmm. and and. Hundreds of not millions, but billions get invested in that space. Addition, mm. uh, women are 2.8% currently right now of venture funds. So we set out to do this to solve a problem. We're, the Fearless Fund is a multi million dollar fund, and we are investing in women of color businesses at early stage, which is pre seed, seed, and series A. Um, we are industry agnostic, which means we can do any industry, but we do have a focus on consumer products. Um, tech, beauty, certain industries were definitely honed in on. And we understand that there was a lack of diverse investment because there was a lack of diverse investors. So a lot of the people who were playing in the space didn't look like us. It's an 80% white male industry as far as investors are concerned. So in order to change the dynamic, we we had to be on the other side of the table. It is myself, my close girlfriend, Keisha Knight Pulliam, mm-hmm. my close girlfriend, Ayana Parsons, and we set out, we are all HBCU grads, Ayana is family as well, Keisha is Spellman, and we set out to make history. Now, we did not know we were going to be the first fund that is built by women of color for women of color. Right. We found that out after the fact. We are SEC regulated, had to go through months of paperwork with the government, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we found that out later. But we are very much so excited. We get thousands of applications. We're looking to just grow the fund and grow the fund so that we can make a financial impact in our community. Well, you are. 
you making an impact. Uh, I'm going to tell you, I, I, I do a lot. I've done over 500 interviews, Miss Simone. And uh, to meet a person like you, younger than me, and um, and just 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 crazy, crazy good. You're just a crazy good person. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I can I can, I, can, I can say it like that. It's you know you're a crazy good person because of the fact that I sit around and I wake up some days and I just don't I plan stuff and and I don't know sometimes the decision that I'm making I just know I got to make that decision right now and that's your thought process and it's 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 so much I, I want you to make sure make make sure you understand you have a, a fan of Rashawn McDonald anything you want to promote. Come to me. You don't have to be on my show. He said, Rashawn, could you put that flyer up for me? I will do that because you represent positivity. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. You represent positivity. And when we, you know, right now, I'm not meeting anybody right now until this uh, pandemic calmed down a little bit. But when it calmed down a little bit more, well, we can like sit across from each other. I want to sit down and talk to you. We might have a mask on talking to each other, but we're going to be all good. <laughs> <laughs> But I want to thank you for coming on my show. Please get that banner to me so I can promote your book on my social media and my newsletter. But more importantly, I can't tell you don't change because you're not going to change. You're fearless. Amen. I appreciate Amen. you. Thank you for coming on my thank show. You. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. Hey, if you want to hear more interviews of Rashawn McDonald with his fantastic guest, please go to MoneyMakingConversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I'm your host.